watching that garbage? You should be doing your homework. I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, Junior. I got something you can really sink your teeth into. Calling all dream warriors. Think you're brave enough to face Freddy? Well, now you can put your nightmare knowledge to the test and win money. You can win $250 a day. Just pick up your phone and dial 1-900-860-4-FRED. And you can challenge Freddy Krueger in the ultimate trivia game. Hundreds of blood-curdling questions about all my films. <laughs> Still need a few pointers? Well, listen up, lunch meat. Call now and challenge Freddy in his trivia game to win cash. Well, little piggy, I might not get you now. But I'll get you in A Nightmare on Elm Street 6. $2 the first minute, $1 each additional minute. Callers under 18, get your parents' permission before you dial. What a rush. I know the rift is in your eye. What are you trying to Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hey, what's going on? Nick Vance. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support The Void, consider joining our Patreon. What's up, Jim? How's it going, dude? What's up? Hey, we are trying our new podcast schedule. We're going to record every week. Doesn't mean an episode. Don't make promises to these people, dude. Don't make don't go out don't go out of your way to make some fucking Yeah, you're right. Cause... Some fucking dramatic statement about how you're going to record every week. Yeah, you're right cuz Look, we, we we both know this is going to go fucking south at some point. But we are attempting to have a regular recording schedule that will probably blow up in our faces at some point. But for now, we're, we're trying something new, trying to get in the swing of things, trying to get that content out or whatever. What, is it content? Uh, I mean, we actually watched a fucking movie today together. We did. And so we're back, we're back on track. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason why we're doing it is because, as we've mentioned on previous podcast episodes, since we, let, we did that Argento episode where we actually sat down and watched the movies together and discussed it and took notes, I think it's better. So instead of just like, here, you independently watch this, I'll independently watch a film, and then we'll come together. It works better. So we're watching movies and then recording. And we're going to try that out, because I think this is the wave of the future, as they say. But I don't think anyone's ever thought of this before. I'm sure they have, but maybe not. It's kind of <laughs> hard. I, I don't know. <laughs> How do people record? Po- I've been on other podcasts where like we record and then they turn that fucker out the next day, which we don't do. No, nah, man, I w- you know I wouldn't, I won't. No, I I feel like you know we we record. We I'm gonna s- I'm gonna marinate about it a little bit. I'm gonna sit around thinking about how how much I hate my fucking voice for about a week before I start editing this motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think there's you know something safe for both approaches. I think we just both equally 
think about maybe recording, sitting on it, thinking about it, then listening with fresh ears. Look, I'm real busy. Y'all motherfuckers are just waiting around to edit podcasts in your life. I'm sorry. I don't have that kind of time. Yeah, and, and, plus, <laughs> and plus we're doing a double edit. Nick edits first, then I go through and do another pass, and then I shove in like the commercials and all the dumb shit. So, and bro, what else you do? What else? What other uh, secrets you gonna give away? What other? <laughs> what other secrets? Is it secrets? Is a fucking let them know the sauce? Is there really any sauce? <laughs> like anyone could fucking and do that, this. And then... <laughs> anyone could fucking do this. It's basic fucking editing. It's editing one hundred and one. Fine. Don't tell them. Don't let them know. Don't let them know we went through it twice. <laughs> well, I, I think that's a seal of quality. Like I'm trying to think of a company that's like we check everything twice. Like you know that's it's like a it's you know Santa it's a, Claus Santa that, Claus Santa yeah. Claus checks his list twice or something. Yeah, we're we're the <laughs> motherfucking Santa Claus is a podcast. We checking her list, checking I'm it twice. all this out. <laughs> no, <you're> not. <laughs> Just leave this shit in. See, and we also we we go on dumb riffs and we leave it in because yeah, I don't know because we're entertaining ourselves, but uh. I was going to say, last podcast, I had gone to Baltimore and mentioned you were going to Baltimore, and guess what? You went to Baltimore, you're back. How was your trip? It was great. I used a bidet for the first time. <laughs> this is the first thing I mentioned. Um, it was it was cool. Um, who, but who that's the, a highlight. Who the fuck do you know that has a bidet in Baltimore? I mean, do I need to, do I need to call them out? Yes. It was Angie and Matt. Wow. They had a, they had a bidet. They were very happy about it. Very happy about sharing the wealth. How does it, I mean, um, and and I took two giant shits at their house. <laughs> <laughs> and the bathroom is like way far away. It was like way far away upstairs in the attic. There's like four floors of this house. It's real sick. Uh, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to those guys. Um, but um, but so the first time I chickened out, I chickened out on the bidet. <laughs> what? And I was just I just what you know I mean I actually did just like I I wiped to completion. Before I used it. So I just went in, like, not to really... Just, you know, get the remnants. Yeah. I'm probably not cutting... I'm not cutting all that shit out, too. <laughs> no, man. No, man. Because I've never heard... I've never met anyone that's actually admitted to using a bidet. Really? No, yeah. lots of people I know are, like, adamant about it. Oh, I would never... What, what are you, shit without a bidet? What do you... What do you walk around with a fucking shit ass all day, dude? I live what in are a, you doing, dude? I live in an old apartment in fucking L.A. You could have a bidet. Bro... I pets it in a, a billion houses in LA and from the poorest people, the poorest people, uh, <laughs> uh, the poorest people, the richest people, like they're all fucking rocking the bidet. And I just, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm a savage dude. I'm walking around every day with a fucking dirty asshole. I feel so out of touch. Yeah, man. I don't know. So it's cheap, dude. It's just an attachment. It's just an attachment. You can figure it out. You could even, even you could hook it up. Even I, I'm just mean like I don't I don't really see you as like a plumber kind yeah. of guy. Oh, I'm not. You ever done some? You ever done some plumbing? I've <laughs> the most I've done plumbing wise has been like we're gonna have a lot of popping peas in this. Oh, fucking <laughs> uh, there was this one particular <laughs> property yeah. where I was pl- plumbing. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I I walked into the bathroom with my papoose as I was plumbing away. On this phallic, no, that phallic's not, never mind. Anyway, um, the most I've ever done is like replace the shower head. Right. On. And then use plumbing tape so I didn't get fucking water spraying all over the goddamn there bathroom. That, that's the extent of my plumbing skills. For sure. You could, uh, you could probably hook up the old bidet. 
Right. I, I'm, I don't I'm, know, but look, this water was really cold when it squirted <laughs> on my butthole, <laughs> and I fucking, I definitely went like this, like and it was a podcast, but I went like this. Well, you did the the, the shocked did, O face, the, the, the O face, dude. Uh, yeah, man, that shit fucking straight up shocked me. You know, as much as we're talking about Baltimore, the 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 thing that I never expected was the just lead off with the bidet. Yeah, I didn't mean to go five minutes bidet, but um. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I had a sick time. I went to see Liars Academy and Dosser and Fairweather at the Metro and just saw a lot of folks there. Saw a lot of old friends, just ran into a lot of people. And I, I just knew it'd be a nice place to just really run into a bunch of people and say hi rather than trying to get a bunch of people together. It's just an easy, easy meetup spot. So it worked out really well. Hung out with a lot of key characters. Um, yeah, man, good time. Trying to think of any other any any anything real. You crazy. saw Tony. Yeah, I went by uh, celebrated summer and uh, did snag like a stack of records. Trying not to, but definitely grabbed some uh, blank singles. I think we talked about that on the last podcast. Blank is the singer of Liars Academy, one of the bands I went to see. I don't know, not not uh, particularly exciting. Otherwise, just did a little did a little shopping, bopped around town, and the homie lent me his pickup truck. Hung out with my sister a bunch. That's cool. It's a nice, quick little like three day trip, four day trip, seven day trip. When was the last three, time you went three hour tour? Yeah, it was three, three days. It was three days. When was the last time you went to Baltimore before that? Man, I want to say when did the pandemic happen? <laughs> <laughs> You're just traveling. Yeah, when did that happen? Uh, two thousand twenty. Yeah, it was two thousand twenty. I, I think I went in twenty twenty one. Okay, so you went right like yeah. October twenty twenty one, something yeah. like that. So September when, October. When things were kind of re. Well, it felt like it was reopening, then it didn't. You know, yeah, to, yeah, the end of 2021 was a little weird going into 2022. Yeah. There's like up and downs, up and downs mm-hmm. kind of shit. Yeah, I think that was the last time I did any like any real traveling. So, unlike my ass, it's been like, yeah, just traveling, just, just no care, no care, just you know, just hopping on a plane. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was really packed, it was really annoying. What, all, your plane? all the flights were really annoying. Uh, would you? I guess it don't matter. We're not sponsored by air, airlines, but unless you want to start sponsoring us, who'd you fly with? Well, I had, I had, uh, I had told myself that I was never gonna fly with Sprint. I was called uh, Sprint. <laughs> I always say Sprint because I my phone is Sprint. I'm poor. Um, and Spirit using Spirit because I'm poor. Um, I flew Spirit even though I just ha- I had said that I had never wanted to again. Uh, but when I was just booking my flight, there was a couple of things where it was like most of my flights were Delta. And then, like, one of them was Spirit, you know? Did okay. I say Sprint again ten no, you times? Said, you, said, you, spit, you said Spirit that last time. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, so, the, like, half of these flights were Spirit and half of them were Delta. So, I was like, so, I got, I got to watch, well, I'll, I'll probably talk about it and rewatch Listen, but I, I got to see After Sun on the plane, which is, like, one of the newer A24 films. Uh, this kind of art film um, that I've been wanting to see that we'd screened at the Cinematheque. And even Vintage screened it for, like, a week. Um, and I just never got a chance to catch it. So, you know what? Watch it on the plane, you know? Perfect perfect way to see it. Is it a plane edit? Or how do they do movies on planes now? You know, just a little fucking... Well, uh, no, I know it's in there. But do they, like, you know, cut out offending materials? Oh, you know, I hadn't really... I mean, I don't know. It's a pretty, like, subdued, quiet art film. Like, who knows? You know, there's nothing really particularly egregious in this film, you it's, know? It's not Emanuel America. No, it's not. Um, I don't know. Like the guy, the guy in this, the guy like kind of like cat a corner to me so I could see like 
between the seats and I could see like the guy kind of like up front of me and to the left, like watched, uh, you know, everything everywhere all at once and then watched a Marvel movie. I'm just like silently judging people watching films on the plane, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just like, really? You would watch that? Come on, bro. Like, I, I think <laughs> when I was flying to Baltimore my last trip, some dude was watching Scarface on the plane. Nice. And he had it on his laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Hell yeah. go for it. I mean, you know, it's a three-hour movie. That's going to take care of like yeah. three-fifths of your fucking flight time. Yep, nice chunk. Nice chunk. But he, he kept <laughs> he kept turning it off and then trying to watch other stuff, and then he put it back on. It's just mm-hmm. like, I don't know, man. Maybe he never seen Scarface before he's trying or he realized what was going to happen in Scarface like I don't know yeah <laughs> who knows uh you know speaking of bands and seeing stuff we actually just last night as we're recording this we went and saw Cursive yeah yeah they were great they were performing uh Domestica which is uh their second or third full length I suppose but that was kind of their breakout you know like uh their their initial breakout then you know they've had bigger records since but that was like that was always the one for me. Yeah. Oh, and they played it front to back, and they actually did it without really stopping. Like they came out. And oh, they, they raged. They did it like Ramon style. They didn't stop between the songs. They were just, yeah. It it was pretty sick because like they started off with like a three song like I guess sampler of like a bunch of stuff stuff from Ugly Organ and some of the later stuff, mm-hmm. and they took a pause. Tim Casher, who you can actually hear on the Cinematic Boy podcast. I don't have the episode number, but look up the. I think it's um Werewolf eighty eight or something like that. Eighty one. Eighty one. Or sorry, eight thank you. Eighty one. Eighty eight. It was that Teen Wolf two. Teen Wolf two. <laughs> Man, you know, fuck eighty eight was the pinnacle year for hardcore and hip hop, so that's been, yeah. but but it was eighty one. So Tim came and talked about American Werewolf in London, Howling, um, Wolfen and mm-hmm. whatever that other one was, the Larry Cohen one. Well, I guess it's like Full Moon Full High. Full Moon High. Yeah, yep. that's what it was. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna check that out. <laughs> But they were fucking great, and like when they got to that Domestica portion, it just fucking ripped. Oh yeah, they slayed. Yeah, they, it was awesome. Although I realized I'm fucking old. Standing shows gets to me. My feet were screaming. My my doggies were barking, bro. Man, my back was hurting. And it was just like it's like <laughs> fuck. I actually went home, had to put an icy hot patch on my back after this show. I'm like, god damn it. Yeah. And I don't even think I have a bad back, but it's just like Ugh. it was just it was just I don't know, man. I was screaming, but you know, it's cool. Also realize, you know, nothing makes you feel short until you go to a show. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and you get the tallest motherfuckers making it a point to stand in front of you. Yeah. They love to stand directly in front of me. Yeah. And it's just like, but curse of fucking ripped. So yeah. Shout out to Tim. Um, a couple other things have been going on. Uh, you know, we're in may, so it's the mayhem or mayhem, depending on, What's your preferences? Are you hammy or are you not? Moon's over my hammy. Yeah. Uh, just screen uh, Like, man, you know, look, I'm sorry. I, it wasn't funny. Look, I get it. <laughs> you know, you know, someone on Twitter said, don't you mean mayhem? Hell yeah. Do they really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, respect. Hell yes. Let's go. <laughs> Fuck yeah. You know what? Fuck it. I stand behind it. I stand behind my dumbass joke. <laughs> yeah. So stand behind it because someone, someone took to it. But um, yeah, screen the mechanic this past Monday and like, about 70 people which is you know not a sellout about half the room but and i kind of expected going in not to have a big crowd for charlie bronson i think we said that on the podcast but like movie fucking slayed with a crowd hell yeah yeah it's definitely one of the best the charles bronson movies ever made michael winter directed it you know jan michael vincent it's 
it's fucking incredible. And, like, people... Pretty much almost a standing O for the ending, because it has one of the best endings of... Not just a Bronson movie, but, like, just a film ending. So, I know you probably haven't got a chance to check it out yet, but make nope. sure you do. It's definitely Art House Bronson. Cool. Uh, other things we can talk about. Just a little bit of stuff. Um, I think I mentioned last podcast that I was selling my comic book collection. I was waiting to get a quote back. Got one back. It's kind of weird that, like, your childhood, you know, box, like, three giant boxes of comic books and, like, two shoe boxes of random issues that I don't even know where the fuck they came. I think someone gifted me some as a kid. They're like, yeah, collections worth $400. We'll offer you 250 for it. And it's just like, there was a second where I'm like, it can't be right. It can't be. And then I re- remember that most of my shit was bought in the 90s, which was, like, yeah. the gluttonous era of comic books, like, huge printings all this stuff like it was just overblown and it's like oh, yeah. 250s better than nothing so i took the 250 rest in peace comic book collection i guess not rest in peace i i'd rather it gets sold and people land ends up at a good home so just, just like every single other kid my age i bought the death of superman and multiple copies of it with like the shrink wrap you know yeah. with the white shrink wrap with the yeah uh, real sick but it's just like everybody bought it so it's not going to be worth anything no I, definitely one of those was in there and it's mm-hmm. just like hey sick as hell though sick as hell you know the the comic book like gimmick era was yeah that was, that was a good one that was like exciting it was exciting but like you know it's like i feel like comic books and baseball cards just fell off collectible wise mm-hmm. i mean i know there's shit that's worth like tens of thousands of dollars still out there but it's like i have was not of the age to get us amazing Spider-Man one or any of that mm-hmm. shit. So once it, once I graduated from, I kind of graduated from baseball cards to, to comic books and then just to like, just to music exclusively. And then just later on, you know, the comic books seeped back in when they started becoming like vertigo and it started becoming yeah. like more in depth, you know, and it kind of went hand in hand with the music. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, yeah, it's the baseball cards. It's like, did the baseball cards die off, or did I just, you know, my interests change, and and I just got older, you know? I mean, I I, I just do kids even collect them anymore? Yeah, Cause I, like, I don't know because there's like there's Fleer. shit. Yeah, well, there's shit like you know Pokemon cards, and yeah, stuff like that. So I don't know. Do Pokemon cards come with a piece of gum? Like, do other do other? I I think they discontinue that gum. I've seen like at various like convention stuff, people will bust out original like fucking you know, collectible cards, like, from movies and stuff, and they all got that shitty fucking gum, mm. which I'm pretty sure is just, like, a fucking pink piece of asbestos or something <laughs> right, like that. Right, P- pink piece of chalk. Yeah, it's it's fucking, yeah. You know you know what's still sick, and maybe it's just, like, showing my age, but, like, at, when I even just see the new ones, like, I love, uh, like, Garbage Pail Kids. Like, that shit is always just sick to me, but I wonder if, like, a young, I wonder if, like, a young kid sees that and is just like, the fuck is this? I, you know what? Now that I think about it, when I was going through my parents' stuff, I did not find my garbage pail kids. Oh no, shit! So they might be still out there. Oh yeah, they right. might somewhere hidden in my parents' house. Yeah. I mean, I'll probably be going back sometime later this year. So you hit the basement yet, or just just your room? I cleared out my. I went in the basement. And I got rid of a bunch of shit in my basement. So. Yeah. Or my parents' basement, I should say. But yeah, I got to find those in spite practice tapes. Um, I think all those tapes were like tape rotted. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think I found them, and they were just in such bad shape. Damn. They were a high eights or something, and they were, like, moisture and stuff. Like, yeah. they, they weren't going to play. Kind of sucks, because, like, there might have been some hidden gems on there. We were talking about this a little off-camera. Like, you know, it's like, 
I would like to do another Inspired record. No one will fucking care because no one cared back then. But me personally, wouldn't mind doing one. Just throwing it out there. One day you'll. One day, Jim, you'll get your record. One day I'll get my record. Will it be the Mirror Crip record? Probably not. Nope. <laughs> nope. What's What's next on the docket? <laughs> oh, yeah, just moving on from that. Um, yeah, a couple other things. Um, somehow I, I guess. I don't know if this came up right as we recorded. Nah, I think this was like maybe the week after we recorded. Cause, so I, they, last time we were recording, like I got hit up on social media from someone who wanted to collaborate on some kind of screening, and they sent me this list of things. And to be a, honest, a list of demands, kind of. It was like, hey, this is what I want to do. Can you help? And it was just like it was one of those things that wasn't really what I did. And it just implied that I would, you know, I would have to do the harder work to make something happen. Mm-hmm. And I did tell the person that, like, you know, we can talk, but, like, honestly, I'm probably not the person for it. And it wasn't being a dick. And then with the, when they wanted to finally talk, like, we, you know, had shit going on. And then the weekend hit. And I'm like, I try to not do business shit on the weekend. Yeah. Like, void work or whatever. I try to actually take weekends off for my own mental health. Because there was a long time where I just, like, seven days a week, always doing something. Mm-hmm. So, this person, I guess, because I didn't set up a call, but they never ever gave a phone number for me to actually call them or anything like that. Like, sent this really snarky thing. It's like, you know, you didn't help me because of this and that. And it was just like, it, it was one of those things that was just a very pointed thing that was based on their own, like insecurities and assumptions and it just like it was like someone dumping like some shittiness onto me Mm -hmm. and like it fucking put me in a shit mood yeah like literally just like i just you know didn't feel it was like i just felt like shit and i've just come to this conclusion now that you know there's an episode i think it's episode 50 is like so you want to be a film programmer where we go into depth about like you know building relationships stuff and like that and it's just like and then getting to the point it's like I don't mind helping people but at the same time it's just like kind of respect it like my time is value and like I can't always help people and like if you're going to come at me for me to use everything all my resources and I get nothing in return I'm not going to help and I'm not saying that to be a dick I feel like a dick saying it, but it's just me just saying like a boundary wise. It's just like, you know, I look for partnerships and relationships and stuff like that, working with people where it's mutual, it's helping both parties. And there's a lot of people that come at you wanting to do one side of stuff. Like I'll have independent filmmakers hit me up on DMS, be like, Hey, can you show my new film? And it's like, what do I gain from it? Yeah. And I know that seems kind of harsh, but it's just like, I'm basically, you're asking me to give up a slot for something that I'm probably not going to be into. Like, I, you know, I've shown newer stuff occasionally, but, like, either it's because I'm working with a label that I already have a relationship with, or it's someone I personally know and already have a relationship with. And I've joked over the years, like, there's a record label that we both loved called Slapham Records. They used to have like a frequently asked questions thing, which was a bit of a smart ass thing. It's like, hey, can I send you a demo? No. <laughs> like stuff like that. It's like, can I get can I get this re- limited record? No. Like it was just every answer was no, except for the last one, which was like, are you wine snob? Yes. Or something like that. Yeah. 
And I've been thinking about doing that. And I think I'm just going to, like, next time someone, like, tries to hit me up for stuff, I'm just going to be, like, send it to info at cinematicvoid.com. And if we're interested, we'll hit you back. Yeah. Speaking of uh, just kind of, like, kind of showing people stuff and, and showing the people that you love and putting your personality out there, blah, blah, blah. Let's talk a little bit about your new fucking zine. Oh, yeah. So uh, there's been a Cinematic Void zine. It's the third episode or episode fucking third issue just came out end of April. And there's going to be a fourth one that's going to come out. It's going to be a Camp Void issue. But I've actually started putting together uh, kind of a more personal zine. It's called Personal Demons. Yes, more of those popping peas in there. But it's kind of a throwback to a zine I did back in 2009. I don't know if you remember, it's called Chalk Outline. Yep. So I, you know, I got into like collage art. And like, if you go on my personal Instagram page, you'll see a bunch of the collages I've been making. I hadn't made, really made collages like on the regular in like years. And like, since I've been like, things I've been going through, it's just like, it's been nice to refine that creative outlet. Right on. Those new collages look sick, man. Yeah. It's just like, I got a bunch of like film poster books and stuff like that. And I'm just cutting them up and building them together have no idea what I'm going to do with them. My girlfriend wants me to have like some kind of art show. I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I will help you. And I was like, okay. Like, like art gallery stuff is like, so it's it's sick because you, then you start emailing people and be like, Hey, I'm trying to put an art show. And they're just like, motherfucker, (laughs) why'd you even email me, dude? Exactly. (laughs) So that, that, that's the part of it. It's like, it's like, I feel like I'm stepping into a world that's not mine. And, and I just feel like, am I going to talk to my counterpart on there's like, yeah. Hey dude, fucking put my art in your gallery. And you're like, you didn't even respond to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a complete fucking flip, isn't it? <laughs> it is dude. But well, I, but dive in. Yeah. Which is why I, I haven't actually done it. Cause I, that's the other thing. I don't like bothering people. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, Hey, would you be interested? I don't, I don't even know how to go about it. So She's had gallery shows and like, you know, she's a mixed media artist, so she's done that shit. So it's it's a world I don't quite under I'm sure it's similar. Yeah. But, you know, it's I I'm just kinda nervous about because I'm just like kind of just getting stuff out. But but the zine, which I think I don't know, it's done. I actually went and did a final proof because I found a bunch of fucking dumb typos. I did like a proof like PDF of it and I was going through and like I was like, shit, I need to Learn how to proofread. I've been saying that for like 30 years at this point, but I think I got all the little mistypes and that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's going to be collage artwork and it's going to be essays. Like some of it's from journals been writing. You know, it's just personal stuff. And I'm going to also repurpose the bits from like those chalk outline issues. Like the stuff I really like that just going to kind of bump up. Like the infamous Art Garfunkel Saves Halloween in Salem story. Because that, um, if you listen to that um, in Salem podcast episode, which I think might be 40, maybe 40. Yeah, I think it's 40, somewhere around there. So it was in the, I guess it was year, was it year two? Yeah, it was year two of podcast that one dropped. I talked, I tell that story. So, and it was, you know, something I've told a lot and still haven't been sued by Art Garfunkel, thankfully. Eventually I will. Eventually Art's going to get mad at me. But, or it was really him. He'd be like, "Oh, thank you for acknowledging me that I helped you save the and you know got you where you needed to go." But you can listen to that story. But it's also going to be included in that first issue. So I don't. I'm trying to figure out when to drop it because it's like 
I know J- June's going to be pre-orders for the fourth issue of the Cinematic Void Zine, so it's like trying to figure out where to place it for pre-order time. This won't probably take a little bit long. It's it's actually a bigger zine than those Void issues. Like, it's it's pretty dense. It's got collage artwork. It's got three kind of essays in there. So I'm nervous but proud of it. Right on. So it's been a lot of work. Um, I guess a couple other things before we get to the premise here. I love these, like, non... I really don't like talking about film anymore. Right. We're going to eventually just, like, we're just going to okey-doke people. And, like, you think we're going to talk about film? No, you're just going to get to know me. Yeah, just going to get to know us and all the fucking weird quirks. <laughs> but to talk about what we're actually talking about, we've been hinting at this episode for, like, it feels like goddamn like a year now. I think we talked about it last year, and we just never got to it. So we're finally getting to what I've called Freddy's Knockoffs, which is we're going to talk about a few movies, at least two, maybe three, kind of deciding if we're going to do that third one or not. We'll, we'll see how we feel. We'll, we'll see how we're vibing on this. But, you know, these are movies that are inspired by Freddy Krueger and A Nightmare on Elm Street in some ways, I think, with some other inspirations in there. And I don't know. I just I thought this was a really kind of weird idea to talk about because, like, I don't think we're ever going to sit down and, like, discuss in-depth Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I mean, there's plenty of podcasts that probably already covered that series front to back and backwards and all that. But what we're going to talk about is movies that were inspired by it and cashing in. And we'll talk about how close they were, how far away they were, what they brought to the table that was different, all that stuff. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we return, get your claws ready, bitch. Or never mind, that's stupid. Never mind. Why, why am I trying to do a fucking bad Robert England at this point? Because I because I think I can, and then I just did and I can't. And we're going to leave it in just as a reminder that I shouldn't do impersonations. I'm going to do some, but Robert England is Freddy Krueger's not one. But we're going to take a break here, and we'll be back on the Cinematic Boy Podcast. You thought you killed me. Freddy Krueger will never die. I'm closer than you think. Just a phone call away. Dial this number and prepare to be scared. And I'm always around, everywhere. So dial this number now if you dare. Join the Freddy fan club. Freddy Krueger has a special message just for you. $1.50 for the first minute, 35 cents each additional minute. Welcome back. We are talking about Freddy's knockoffs, a.k.a. movies that are inspired by... Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And up first, we're going to talk about a movie from Mexico. It's quite, I'd say, fun. Would you say, Nick? It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's from 1987. It's directed by Ruben Galando Jr. It is called Don't Panic. Ruben Galando also made such bangers. I'm going to say banger once because apparently it's been pointed out to me that in the previous episode, I said banger in a series of... What was it banger 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 or something? I, b- I believe you said that the uh, 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 Wang Chung uh, "To Live and Die in L.A." soundtrack was a banger 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 banger. I maybe it was not eight times, but it was a lot of bangers, and I didn't realize I said it. And then Nikolai pointed out and told you, and now I'm self conscious about ever saying another fucking word out of my mouth. Thanks, yeah. Nikolai. Thanks, Nikolai. You know, back to my mortal enemy again. Hell yeah. 
You know, I, I, I'd forgiven the two and a half star review of fucking Carnival of Souls, but it's on again. And I think we sat here and we watched Hard Boiled together. I had a moment. Had a moment. Had a moment. That moment's gone. Had a moment. 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 <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so whatever. He's made some other great films, including Cemetery of Terror. Nikolai? And, no, um, the guy directed Don't Panic. Okay. Nikolai apparently <laughs> has only had two birthday parties in his life. <laughs> and one of them, uh, apparently Chow Yun Fat was at his birthday party for some reason. <laughs> and, but that, it was. A, that makes no sense, but trust me, it's a great story. It's a great story. You know, he wasn't there, by the way. He wasn't. It was not shouting fat, and then he's stretching. <laughs> anyway, so Ruben Galando Jr. made Cemetery Ter- Terror and Great Robbers as well, which are both fun. And all three of those movies have been put out on Blu-ray by Vinegar Syndrome. I don't think the slipcover editions are there, but if you actually just like movies and don't need cardboard, pick them up. Or I think they might be on Shudder, too, or one of those other streaming platforms if you want to check them out. Besides that, the movie star is John Michael Bischoff, who, the only reason I'm mentioning this guy is because he's the star of the movie, and he also wrote the absolute, I'm going to use that word again, banger of a fucking theme song for the movie called Don't Panic. Like, I think he programmed the fucking beat and sang over it and all that, and that song's really good, but we'll get to the rest of the soundtrack here. For those of you who have not seen this movie that may or may not be inspired by A Nightmare on Elm Street, basically on his 17th birthday. It Really? 17th birthday? Man. <laughs> we got more questions here. Uh, Michael was given a present of a Ouija board by Tony, his best friend. At the session, Tony uses a medium known to him as Virgil. Unwittingly unlocks the evil forces of the board. Soon, there is a wave of violent killings, and the chief suspect appears to be Michael. He has been the witness to killings via premonitions and out-of-body experiences, or red contact lenses. And is Michael the killer? Can he prove he's innocent, or is someone else possessed by the evil spirit? If you want to kind of hit home the Freddy portion of this, one of the taglines was, Forget Freddy and Jason, Virgil's the newest nightmare in town. Um... We had two differing opinions on the name Virgil. What was the first thing when you heard Virgil? Uh, oh, I think of Virgil like Million Dollar Man's homie. Oh, his own valet, and then yeah. um, eventual Virgil became a wrestler on his own, part of the NWO. See, mine was more current. <laughs> like valet. I mean, I guess that is what they called him. It, you it, know, it was he, like he was like his manager. He would hand him some hundred dollar bills and stuff in people's mouth at the end of the at the end of the match. You know, I think it's kind of weird. Virgil was always jacked. He wasn't really a wrestler. He was kind of a wrestler. Like sometimes he would hop in the ring and fuck you up. Yeah, you know it, they like play dirty that way when when Million Dollar Man was the bad guy. I don't know. Vir- Virgil had his his strengths. Yeah, it, the reason why I don't was he his manager because he wasn't really you know you know giving. He, he kind of did like a the Mister Fuji kind of you know it, he played isn't manager you called him valet and I think that's how they worded it but it, it's the it's yeah. it serves the same function that but, even the managers did. It's a it's a outside antagonist that can be there during the match. It's yeah because yeah. not everyone had a manager. You know, but I mean, like like, and, like you know every one of these wrestlers probably had a, a literal manager, but it's not that it's not Mister Fuji. No, no, it you know I guess when I think more wrestling manager i think bobby the brain heaton or jimmy hart or like sure. you know but those but also those guys were just like crazy mouthpieces and they weren't actually their managers it's just no. uh it's cool it's just showmanship i i, I love it they, they, that but, era of wrestling that we're talking about god damn man we could do a we could do a wrestling podcast let's not do that let's not there's wrestling podcasts but any every so often there's we, movie podcasts too i don't listen to them 
I don't listen to them. I they, I only I only listen to fucking hip hop podcasts at this point. I listen to comedy podcasts. So you know, I mean, there. I'm sure there's plenty of. Well, I know there's plenty of film podcasts out there. And if you want to hear about film, probably should listen to them because we're gonna segue and talk about wrestling and every other fucking thing but movies. But I guess since we're attempting to talk about movies, we should talk about movies. Anyway, so. My when Virgil came up, the first thing I thought of because of Griselda and the fashion designer Virgil Dola was, you know, I kept thinking. Brick on my brick. That's sick. Yeah. But that but like I can understand, like maybe if we saw this movie and that didn't exist, I would go on to Virgil. Yeah. I've Rest- never met a person in my life named Virgil. The only Virgil I've ever, I ever really had any, you know, that I ever knew of was just from Million Dollar Man. Yeah. So there you go. And and then and then of course the designer who did the terrible Pop Smoke cover. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, Rest- did, he, did he fix it or did someone else fix it someone, after he died? Someone, no, someone else ended up doing the cover and it was just as, as atrocious as. Honestly, real talk. Pop Smoke sucked, and that cover art, like, fit the record. Whatever, dude. That shit sucks. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a rest, big... Rest in peace or whatever, but, like, that shit is garbage. Yeah, rest in peace to both him and Virgil, but, like, yeah, I wasn't a Pop Smoke fan. I tried. I was like, maybe I should give it a spin. It's just like, yeah. ain't me. I don't get it. Yeah. It, it, I've found that in a lot of hip-hop stuff, especially, like, when I'm watching those hip-hop documentaries, they start talking about, like, newer yeah. cats or whatever, but it's just like... I'm definitely stuck in the air. If you sound like you came from the grimy 90s in New York, mm-hmm. going to listen to it. Yep. If you sound like some modern, not for me. And that's just a personal preference. Anyway, getting back to this movie here. So, while it definitely has a Nightmare on Elm Street vibe to it, I think it's more equally split between Elm Street, Evil Dead, and the Michael Jackson Thriller music video. Yeah. Actually, you pointed out Thriller. It's it's just that makeup in particular, I think. But uh, but you know when you're doing the, I mean, Evil Dead, right? It's it's demons. Well, there, you know, it's there's, like there's also kinda, the dagger, the dagger thing, yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's like some old, you know, it's supposed to be like some old demon that came through fucking time. Like what the hell, you know what I mean? Like where do you where do you come up with a sword like that? Yeah, it, I mean, it clearly there's influences that are very transparent that mm-hmm. are. Just but but the movie. the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff is pretty heavy handed, I think. You know, there's that classroom scene. Oh yeah, there's that one. The the ending in the boiler, or I guess mm-hmm. is it a boiler room or is it like a I don't know what it is. Like, it's like a like a substation or some yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. But there there's a few things, and we'll hit them up. But yeah, definitely that classroom scene where like he's having that little bit where the teacher just starts talking to him like this person's in the next die. And then like the previous victims in the classroom, just bleeding all over the fucking floor. Yeah. 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 They kind of have those like almost visions where it's like the, the bad guys talk to them through other people. It's not a possession so much because they're the only one that can see it. Yeah. You know? So it, there's some, there's a lot going on and maybe too much going on. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a, a kitchen sink kind of a movie, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and, a lot of a lot of the fun of it to me, I think, resides in like just the era that it was made and and the the things that it's aping from its own era. Yeah, you know, I just just the the you know, it's not a throwback, but it's just all just the eighties, you know, just crazy clothes and and style. It's just it's fucking awesome, and it just it it. it 
this is my second time seeing it, but the first time I watched it, it gave me kind of a wave of nostalgia. And, I, and again, it's my first watch. Yeah. It just really made me just think back to my childhood. You know, they're all wearing like white Reeboks. Oh yeah, you know there is some fucking crazy fits in this movie. Like the <laughs> yeah. the the, yeah. the 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 first thing that dude Michael is wearing, it's like I we I don't even know what the fucking coat like the it, it's like a windbreaker cardigan. I didn't know they made such things. It's like a collared one of those like collared like bulky long sleeve shirts that are multiple multiple colors that like. I guess even like maybe Tommy Hilfiger was making things that kind of yeah, looked like this in the '90s, but this is you know way before that. Yeah, because there was that, and then there was the fucking overcoat. It was like a yeah, a, what car- is a cardigan, but like made out of like you know sweat material rather it, than it, it was like it was being like a, a sweater. Yeah, it was a cardigan cardigan sweater windbreaker because there was a fucking like collar a, on it's it. It's like a sweatshirt. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what the fuck that was. It it I've. No, they like to they like to have a lot of things with like a collar underneath something else. That was the collar was from the initial. Oh, it was from the initial from shirt. His, okay, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then it was, was just, was and lo- it was just like a white cardigan, but not but like not a sweater made out of like sweatshirt. I don't know what you call that. Like a, just the heavy. It's like a, it's just a sweater jogger jogger. Is that what jogger it's material as you'd call it in the. As the, as the youngins may call it, Man, maybe it's a job. I don't know. And this is coming up the other thing because, like, <laughs> dude, I I think we came up with this guy's look. He was like somewhere between Kirk Cameron, William Cat, and Willie Ames. Yeah, definitely, definitely all three. Yeah, just because like, and I guess some of the music and you pointed out like sounded like the theme to the greatest American hero at some point, which yeah. you know, William Cat. It's one of the greatest songs of all time, really. You know, it's a better or not. I'm walking on air, dude. That's... dude. You know, uh, so you were talking about the uh, the Don't Panic song. Yeah. And how it's a banger, 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 banger. Yeah. I might suggest it's mid. I think it's mid. You think it's mid? I think it's mid. I think the rest of it is dog shit. Oh. <laughs> I, you know. And it, it, may, it maybe elevates the theme. You know You know what? I, 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 I think that's a fair assessment. You know, in the history of 80s horror, like, soundtrack songs that, like, you know, say the title of the movie or a rap song or whatever. I mean, I do love that. I do love it. I mean, you're you're onto something. I mean, it's just it, it does hit it, those. It's not Baby Lied. Like I, it's I, definitely not. No, Baby Lied. I think is like, and people will fucking argue and like Dream Warrior. No, fucking Baby Lied is the top tier of fucking yeah. songs in horror movies. Like I'm a I'm a sucker for when like a band says their their band name in a song. Yeah, that's I mean that's classic. So when you when you say the title of the film in the song, like I I love the I love the titular line in the dialogue in the film. Yeah, I mean I love the I don't think they said don't panic once in this film. No, but you know? it's just in the song. I you know it reminds me we just watched hard boiled and I forgot yeah. that they actually say like some hard boiled cop and it's just Hell like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm you know, the guy that said the titular line in Star Wars. Yeah, you know? fucking Star. This, this is some Star Wars here, or whatever. <laughs> sure, but, sure. I'm sick of all these Star Wars. Yeah. So bef- before <laughs> before we finish about the fit, we'll, let's talk about the soundtrack because that is one of the worst fucking synth scores I ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Like it is. It, I there it's was always. Like, don't you have? I mean, isn't all synth stuff on like grids? Like it sounds so fucked up at off time. No, I mean, it, shit is like that. It's somewhere between dark wave and synth funk, and the fuck, and whoever yeah. programmed the drums just like the timing's way off. Mm-hmm. Like the mix is just all fucked up. Yeah, the, the yeah the drum hits, like the snare hits and shits, and the claps sound all fucked. I mean, it's I my note was not great, <laughs> but dog shit is probably more accurate it's, it's, for the it's soundtrack. Dog shit, and then and then once they hit the don't panic, it's like all right, well yeah. And those drums are a little fucked up. Like, but they're, I they're fucked too. Yeah, it's the but, claps. Yeah, but I think it's closer to like maybe like 
I don't want, it's, it's not just, even it's, it's not kinda, even a real comparison it's but charming you know it's it's kind of it it doesn't really remind me but it also makes me think back to those early wu-tang recordings where riz's stuff was like slightly off and mm-hmm. out of time but like it kind of worked and for this it yeah. kind of worked yeah, yeah am i saying the don't panic theme is as good as cream or fucking method man or like right. the mystery or chess boxing absolutely fucking not it, but yeah, like it, it adds an adds a layer of humanity to it you know but yeah. but it's fucked up yeah, it's, it's <laughs> but like the worst fucking song in here, and there's a goddamn montage to it. It's like when they're like the where he's like, "Hey, you want to go get breakfast for me?" Because I guess I don't know this, but when you go to school, I guess in Mexico, if you show up late, you're not getting in. Oh, that's that's how it's going down. But that um, that's what they imply in the movies. Like, oh, you showed up late, can't show up. It's like at one point it's like you're gonna turn away a fucking student you write them up for being late and you let them go to class and so you're like well guess we're going for breakfast and they don't even go for breakfast they go rent a bike and they're driving around a fucking biking around a lake they buy balloons like that fucking song is atrocious and like that drum programming is like <sighs> speaking of RZA there I saw a clip on like someone it I think he's fucking around like he was being interviewed by someone like showing him how he constructs a beat I don't know if you ever seen this thing, but it was a real, it's, it's like, he, I think he's fucking around because I hope to God he's not being serious, but like the shit's so off. It's like, then I had this drum and it's like, it's the most fucking train wreck. It might as well be the soundtrack to this movie. All right, so then to kind of really make it like have that uh, modern sound, I just, I'm just going to add a little hi-hat, a normal, uh, Normal like hi hat from a uh, modern music, shall we say? So, so we got something like that. Right, that's cool. So, something like that. This fucking montage song, like there's fucking like Tom hits and you know all kind. It's just mm-hmm. it's a fucking mess. Yeah. But somehow, it kind of works with like the fucking ridiculousness that's on state or on the screen. Yeah. And it then caps with them eating ice cream. Like, at no point do they go eat breakfast. They're fucking eating strawberry ice cream and oh, one yeah. of the, like, weirdest, grossest fucking things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. So, yeah, this movie is, it. yeah, you're right. It's, it is kind of, uh, it's kind of, it, but it's not, like, over the top it, where it feels like, oh, we're trying to be over the top. It just fucking is. And yeah. it's just kind of insane. I mean, you, you, you were writing other notes about, like, other kind of 80s movie hits that were, like, yeah. building up the sequence. I think you said rad because of the bike shit. And Dude, like... yeah, he's doing, like, little skids on his bike and shit. Like, the way that he cruises up to school or whatever, he's, like, being all slick. But then he gets, but it's all fucked up, too. Like, he falls over. Like, they kind of make a joke out of it. Like, yeah. they're clearly ripping off rad. Yeah, and, and Or, like, BMX bandits or something, you know? But then it's just like, oh, he's not actually good. I mean, every... It's also a trope, though. Like, just being alive in that time. Like, yes, we all rode fucking BMX bikes. Like, how could you fucking not, dude? Who doesn't want to go jumping off some fucking ramps? That's true. And speaking of, like, the other thing that we didn't get to when we were talking about the fashion fits is like the no socks, and we can't. We haven't decided. We were arguing over what the fucking shoes are. Are they penny loafers or boat shoes? I would call them. I would call them boat shoes, but I, I feel like there's maybe even a more specific name than that. Um uh, but they're definitely not penny loafers. Like there's, they definitely have laces and like not a slot for the fucking penny. Which I'm maybe some lo- maybe some penny are they, loafers are they, do have, or a, maybe they're just loafers. No, they're no a little more stylish than that. A little more like I think I think boat shoe is is on the right track. Yeah, I mean, it's someone if you own a boat, 
just hit us up and let us know like what do you call the shoes you wear it's on nice. the boat? I, I, they're they're cool. They're I would I would wear those shoes. That, that was the one thing you kept saying through the movies. Like I'd wear. Okay. That. Yes. Uh, so yes. I, I don't know about the the white cardigan, but like yeah, there's there's some fits. Dude has some like sick pants. The, the, the fucking yellow yellow long sleeve shirt. Uh, that's a sick shirt. That 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 yeah, I can get with that. And you know we have to talk about because it's all over this fucking movie is the dinosaur pajamas. Bro, I hate that about this movie. <laughs> I absolutely despise about this movie. That's fucking stupid, dude. And I know it's supposed to be like, okay, okay, like, for one, we just said he's 17. Okay, he's 17, he's wearing these fucking little kid fucking pajamas. And he kind of, like, it kind of gives it, like, a superhero look. Like, you know, I mean, Spider-Man and Superman are wearing, like, fucking, you know, super tight-ass clothing, too. Like, you know what I mean? It looks kind of an outfit like that. But, like... It's almost as if they could have just fucking sent his ass out on some diapers. I mean, that's how stupid he looks. I mean, it's fucking stupid, dude. It's just like they infantilize him. It's, you know, that's why it bothers me. Well, it's like, what's the point, dude? Like, I get it. It's supposed to be nighttime. You could dress his ass up like fucking Rip Van Winkle then. Yeah. <laughs> a little it, candle. It, it's a, a fucking... <laughs> <laughs> a little candle and a fucking, uh, like a nightgown, dude. Oh, like a little fucking hat. I mean, really, come on. What are they trying to do with these pajamas? It really bothers me for some reason. I because... Don't, I don't know why. Because it's like, so much in that movie. Because... I mean, like I guess, like I don't know, what do men fucking sleep in? I mean, I guess they could just send his ass out in some boxers or is tidy whities or that, something. Is that like I guess is that what they're trying to come across? With trying to come across is like he's in his sleepwear, right? So again, Rip Van Winkle or fucking well, you know it's John so, Jingleheimer Schmidt or whatever the fuck. It, the thing about it is, it's like <laughs> I, one note I wrote is like I put eighteen, but I'll say seventeen because that's what is eight. It's seventeen yeah. going on thirty five. Yes, because this guy does not look like he's anywhere close to high school age. Yeah. For but sure. then, but then you look at his fucking actual room he's sleeping in, or true, no, at his parents' true, true. house. At his parents' house, I guess he's. I don't. Wait, does he? Li- he I don't does think he, live he had an apartment? He's just at his parents' house. Yeah. No, but then he shows up at another apartment. And he's laying. On, maybe this. Is, uh, maybe that's Tony's fucking apartment. Might be shit. I can't. But remember. but he acted like he fucking lived there. But then he's staying with his mom anyway. But then you yeah, go. No, he, he's got the house with all the different like the car posters. Yeah, and shit. like the, which like, is the most eighties shit. Like he's got Lamborghinis, he's got girls in bikinis. It's like like eighties for like yes, between like one and ten years old. Yeah, this, this is the types of posters you have on your wall. It's just like it's like in the eighties when you would have like the stealth bomber poster. Yeah, it, and like a Lamborghini. Yeah, in the. Even as a kid, I didn't like cars, Which but is pretty I, sick. Yeah, like <laughs> I had a fucking like fucking some kind of like fancy car poster on my wall, bedroom wall as a kid, and I don't even fucking like cars. Yeah. I don't give a shit about sports car. Yeah, but I'll be goddamn if I didn't have one of those posters. It was just what you did in the eighties. Mm-hmm. But it's just like it's like is this kid eight? Is he seventeen? Is he fucking forty five? I don't know. Yeah, because there's other shit that's gonna happen. We'll get there. Um, you know, the movie starts out with them at his birthday party. Which is like everyone's fucking drunk. Yeah. And even his mom. I guess his mom being drunk is kind of a the wink and a nod to the drunk mom in the first Elm Street. Right. Like that that that's pretty telegraphed there. But then like all his a bunch of his drunk friends leave and then there's a bunch more still hanging out there. Or they didn't show up, but they showed up late and they're like, Hey, we got your Ouija board. Hell yeah. The girl the girl that's his uh that becomes his love interest when they when they pop out on his birthday and she's like hiding like kind of next to the couch dude she pops out like fucking uh she pops out like fucking spaghetti from fucking tim and eric 
<laughs> she just like why is she just like creeping right right there like kind of next to the couch it's so funny the the fact that like there's all these people and they're all fucking drunk as shit and they bust out this ouija board but my, my favorite touch is they put fucking like kind of like ritual candles and coke cans mm-hmm. and then like you get that like i they put a filter on i forget the name of the filter it's like a lens filter that makes like candle light and stuff like that kind of like star out i think it's called a star filter okay yeah it looks really cool it, i mean it's a, it's a nice touch yeah but then like you know it's i guess the other thing that could be this movie could be ripping off a little bit i i'm trying to think what year i think witchboard okay that's a, that's another one. So Makes you get sense. Witchboard, Evil Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street, Thriller. Mm-hmm. Throwing, throwing a lot of things in there. This is where things get tricky. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, so his one friend gets possessed as we find out. Tony? Yeah, Tony gets possessed by Virgil and then Tony gets stuck in the TV and they have a kind of like a mix of an Elm Street Videodrome moment. Yeah. I guess to say Videodrome because that preceded Elm Street. Okay. So... Or, I mean, it probably came from Elm Street 3, because there's one where I TV mean, came. Yeah. It, it obviously came from Elm Street 3. <laughs> right, right, right. Totally. But, yeah, and it's like Freddy's head, you know? Yeah. But, like, it, it's kind of a cool moment. But, like, then Michael, has, his eyes turn red. Like, mm-hmm. he I, is he having, can he see? It's Yeah, it's weird, because he's, like, when, when his eyes turn red, and I guess he's having these, like, premonitions of one of his friends, which is ultimately, like, his friends that were there uh, during the Ouija session, right? Like, they're kind of being killed off. Yeah. Which I this was I've seen this movie three or four times now and that was, and that was the first time I noticed that line of dialogue that like clears that up yeah 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 but I guess I mean I guess it's obvious mm-hmm. but it's just I never thought about it I just right. thought it was just like random people he knew getting fucking whacked yeah but I guess I guess it was a little deeper and a little tighter in the writing there than yeah yeah I was thinking but he's having these premonitions and as as this is happening uh, and. I, and, and it's not quite clear to me whether these some of these like is he having premonitions of like murders that are literally happening at that moment but as he's like running he's like bumping into shit so i'm not sure if it's just like the red contacts and whatever is he just <laughs> is he blind is he seeing the he's seeing the future so therefore he can't see like the physical reality in front of him so he's like running trying to figure some shit out and he's like slamming the shit i don't know it's it's but, ridiculous that, i think there's a couple i think i think he can't all right, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But I also want to pinpoint that I also think it's the other thing, too. I think he can't see where he's going because he just sees the visions. Yeah. Which makes for an interesting scene when, like, the fucking Virgil the Demon is fucking chasing after him in the car. So, mm-hmm. like, as he's looking ahead, does he see the car falling? Like, how does that work? Right. Is it like a fucking weird VR loop that you're in? Like, you're actually being chased, but then in front of you, you see what's actually happening behind you. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Yeah, it, it's insanity. But I also think there's times where he can see those red contacts and he's just bumping mm-hmm. to shit legitly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. But I don't know. It, it's, but I I like the red contacts. I think it's a nice little choice. And they really pop when he's in that fucking dinosaur pajama set. Yeah, I mean, you know, the colors again. He just looks like a damn superhero. <laughs> Greatest American hero. Yeah, yeah Great. true. <laughs> Maybe because that music cue is very reminiscent of it, mm-hmm. maybe it's not that far off. Right. I mean, you know, all again, he, again all... they th- they're throwing him in like a superhero costume, really, right? Yeah. I, I mean, there's, I mean, I'm trying to think of other things in this movie, like the rose, the rose shit. The rose stuff is super weird. Well, first, it's like he it like it's not even a full stem rose. It looked like he literally went and plucked it, like broke off a rose from mm-hmm. like 
a table setting or something like that. And he's going to yeah. give it to his girlfriend who's like getting forcibly having to kiss like some other dude. Yeah. I've kind of lost track of all the friends because like outside of Tony, because you know, Tony got possessed. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is kind of like, I don't know. There's like fucking dude in the swatch. Like we, we had to talk about this. Cause like I was going to write down my note was wife beater. And I realized like, Oh, probably shouldn't call those shirts that anymore. So is it called an A shirt? It's called an A shirt. I, I, I think so. I mean, we're learning all kinds of things, boat shoes, A shirts or whatever. But yeah. like, yeah. Fashion. Fashion. Yeah. We're, hey, see, Virgil, fashion. It's all syncing up now. But like, yeah, the rose shit's weird because it goes to one hand, like this girl that he like skipped school with and had like one day with and awkwardly ate ice cream with. Like, He's like, here's this rose, like some professing love, and then, you know, sees like some dude just like trying to like make out with her, and he gets upset and has this fucking ultimate emo moment. And she's like, what? Is he, what, dude? He's just a friend. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but like the, the way they shot it, he's like in a classroom with one knee up and the roses beside him, and he's looking out the window longingly. It's like, I'm surprised some fucking like emo fucking song from like. I mean, it's that, but then it goes into like this kind of like weird. Uh, weird sex scene that they have, and, oh, it's, fuck. and it's like pretty. It's it's not terribly far off from the fucking sex scene in the room. Yeah, the, you know, I it's, mean, it's pretty it's, corny. It's not graphic, but it is corny as shit. And it's also it comes down to like seventeen thirty five because like they yeah. they ain't this ain't like seventeen year olds. They're like, they're seventeen, you know. and it's a weird like Fabio style sex. Yeah, because you know it's, I mean? it's like slow motion <laughs> yeah. and all that, and yeah. just like it just the rose. But then on the table (laughs) and then oh, on fucking top of it, she's like, I really like your room with all the race cars. (laughs) God, it's just like, what the fuck? It's like, oh, I like your room and all the cars and shit. And it's just like, I guess he has toy cars and stuff, which comes up. It's pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, I guess it is. Fuck. Um, But the build up to that scene is like when he hands her a rose, they like I. I wrote down Notor- Hitchcock's Notorious because there's like a kiss- famous kissing scene in there with Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant. But it's not in slow-mo. But like the way they cut to their e- extreme close-ups of their faces as they get closer and closer, it's like this big build-up to like a kiss you do not want to actually see. And yeah. then just and just once that happens, it's just... That slow-motion kiss was so weird, dude. It, it, was, just, it, 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 was the, it was the most terrifying thing in the movie. Let's be real. Leading into, like, that fucking room-esque, like, sex scene. Which kind of feels out of place. Yeah. And I... But then I guess it feels in place with the other shit that happens in this movie. Um, You know, you got Virgil possessed Tony. So Tony Virgil, he's got, like, Evil Dead Dagger, which I guess they kind of explain where it came from. But it's just, like... If it's a possessed demon that's coming out of a Ouija board, where is he grabbing a fucking dagger from? Yeah. You know, like, you know, obviously the dagger's inspired by Evil Dead, but, like, the dagger was with the Necronomicon when they showed up. So the dagger was already established. At no point is this dagger established. He's just, like, pulling out and fucking shanking people with it. I wrote this down because, like, the mom has probably the best line in the movie here, which is, like, there's something you should know. I have a drinking problem to, like, a fucking cop. Or was it was a cop? Was it a psychiatrist? Like who the fuck was that person? She said oh, it man. to. I can't even remember. I, I just she re- definitely did. She definitely she's did. not lying. And then the scene cuts. Like that's where the scene ends. Like <laughs> I think you should know. I have a drinking problem. Hard cut to the next scene. Just 
just you know just cultivating some just like great one-liners you know i mean maybe that's all it was and then I think right after is when he had his hissy fit scene in those dinosaur pajamas. Dude, he's, ripping down, he's ripping down all those posters. Dude, there, there's a fucking bit where he's throwing jeans against the wall, like just angrily. I've never seen anyone angrily throw jeans and they just like kind of lightly just bounce off like a Ferrari poster or whatever. He's just committed to the pajama look. Fuck these jeans. Yeah, for real. Now, what I want to talk about is probably maybe the best put together sequence in the movie is that hospital sequence. Because yeah. like, you know... He's like got the red contacts. He's trying to you know, get to his friend's sister that was working as a nurse. That's getting stalked, and he runs in this fucking, I guess, security. Although he calls him a cop. Yeah, it's like I don't think it's a cop. It's a security guy. He doesn't look like a cop. I mean, he might have aviators in the like sickest ass like giant walkie-talkie I've ever seen. Right. He's the security guard that thinks he's a cop. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, why else are you wearing aviators inside in a hospital yeah, where it's like, that might be my favorite character in the movie is that dude. Yeah. And then, like, you know, he goes and calls a phone. And it's like, why are you calling someone on the phone when you have that fucking sick-ass walkie-talkie? Yeah. I would be calling everyone with it. You could fucking call somebody on the moon with that walkie-talkie. Dude, I mean, that fucking antenna, like, <laughs> that had to have fucking great reception. Like, And then, like, a nurse shows up and then his boss, I guess. Is it the boss? I don't know who the other guy is. Like, he's dressed kind of similar to the other guy, but he doesn't have a name tag. Yeah. Where, like... Oh, the 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 one security dude with the aviators, I think it was Quintana, was his fucking yeah, name tag yep. on there. Like that guy was, that that guy's a top tier fucking character. <laughs> so the hospital scene ends with like you know Michael finally seeing Tony Virgil in the flesh. He's like, Tony, you're dead. And he's like, No, I'm Virgil, bitch, or whatever. Yeah. And he's got and he comes stalking after him and like, I guess he also has those red contacts in or red vision. So it's like. Again, as he's running away, is he can't see because of the contacts, or is it because of the implied visions? So he's watching himself being chased. Yeah. And then he jumps through a fucking window, mm-hmm. and it's fucking great in those fucking stupid pajamas. Dude, when they were, when they, uh, I mean, I can, I, like, it's in my field of vision right now, but I can't see who made it. Who, was this a vinegar syndrome? Yeah, vinegar syndrome. This, you know, didn't they, I think they were selling shirts of that fucking pajama shirt. Oh, they, no, they sold a full fucking pajama the whole set. Thing. Oh, God, it's, it hurts my brain so and much. I'm going to hurt your brain even I more. It. I hate it. Because when I got this movie, <laughs> I bought a set. If you were, I was going to say, if you were out there listening to this, if you bought those pajamas, uh, just tell us that you did. Send photos if you got them yeah. on Twitter. Like hit, hit us up. We want to see your stupid ass fucking pajamas, dude. I saw one pic. Andrew Furtado Hell from yeah. Severn got them, and he posted a picture of himself wearing them. I actually ordered them, and I put them on, and I was like, I fucking hate myself. Y'all, y'all have that. way too much fun, dude. You yeah. have way too much fun. Well, you know, I, I, put, I put them on once. I threw them shits out. You looked in the mirror and went, motherfucker. Dude, I was like, who have I become? It's like I wasted thirty five dollars or whatever it was on this, and I I felt I never felt ashamed. Shout out to everyone that bought those. That's sick, dude. Respect, there, respect. Pe- I mean, I didn't like it because there's no fucking pee hole. Like, it's not a fucking adult pajama dude, set. If there was a fucking ass flap, dude. <laughs> if there was an ass flap, I would have kept them. But it's just like the, the it's pe- like not even a onesie, but they're still an ass flap. I love it. I mean, those exist. I mean, I'm sure they do. And That's like. What, I, I didn't like the pants because they had no pockets and all that. I was just like, I don't... What pants? Am I? Are they pants? 
No, they're pajamas, but like I did it feel like a costume? Did it feel like a Halloween costume or did it, it feel like legit just I bought a pair of pajamas? It it felt like I time traveled and bought pajamas from yeah. like the 80s yeah, and yeah, then yeah. realized that I it's like it was funny, but like I will admit I wasted my money and they weren't for yeah. me. And I, I mean, it, it is funny. Like I respect some good marketing. That's great. That's great. I, I yeah. thought it was funny, but then it's just like as I was moving out, like. Yeah, god damn it. I was like Remember that like oh I wish I had thirty dollars right now. I could have bought anything I could have bought another Blu ray of a movie I liked other than having a set of pajamas from a movie that I do enjoy but was never gonna wear and like I definitely tossed them. I, I'm sure I could repurpose them, but I was so you, to- you tossed them. I was I'm, I'm happy that you went all in. I, I went all in and went all out. I I full I fully <laughs> de- I fully decided that I've already wasted my money. Might as well the, the shame of like trying to resell those or like I didn't even want to take them to Goodwill. They went in the trash. Speaking of things and how people are like dressed up, um, their friend Robert, who's drunk ass, who was supposed to be one of the next victims after the hospital, he's wearing that um that Swatch A shirt yeah. and tidy whiteies and they're fucking dragging him around. Mm-hmm. They're like, we gotta protect him, gotta see him. And then like, I forget what Michael was doing, but his other friend with a shotgun walks into that fucking convenience store to go get cigarettes and yeah. like hilarious unintentional like robbery, like robbery scene. The guy's like, how much are you? He's like, I'll just take the stuff. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Like that's pretty fucking funny. That was well done. Also want to mention when Robert gets his throat slit, it is the slowest fucking throat slitting ever put on camera. Totally. It's a, it's a nice one. But yeah, and I, we should mention that the effects in this movie are yeah solid all the yeah. way through. Oh yeah, totally. Like you know, makeup looks good, gore looks good. I, it, it's fucking good, and I think it's what adds to the watchability of it and why it does feel nostalgic for like that time period because it is replicating that. I mean, it's not re- it's from that time period and it is that thing. Yeah, despite probably being very confusing and trying to kitchen sink method might get you lost here and there, mm-hmm. but you know, as we were getting through it. Um, other things in this movie, like, I like the the Phantom Car bit, which we already talked about a little bit. Yeah. Like, when the car, like, kind of, like, drives off in front of the cops and there's, like, no one in it. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's pretty sick. Um, when Michael shows up at his girlfriend's house and they're having a family dinner and he's like, oh, get the, her dad with the fucking crazy fucking, like, I guess, like, you know, curl sand, not even curl, like, giant fucking mustache. Yeah. Looks like he's in a mustache competition guy. And he's like, get this boy some wine. And then he, like, pulls out a gun because he keeps seeing the fucking, like, you know, Virgil, Tony thing. He's, like, shooting up the house. Like, that shit's fucking crazy. Yeah. And then they steal Dad's car, which is, like, I put down Grey Poupon car. Yeah, it and totally is. It's, it, uh, it's kind of like a... I don't know if it's exactly a Rolls Royce, but... Yeah. It might as well be. Makes me think of the fucking uh, Hitler car from uh, Rat Race. <laughs> <laughs> How man working in a rat race reference here, dude? It's a race, and I'm winning. <laughs> I'll, I'll quote that shit at you. Dude, so, <laughs> god damn it! Think, it for... Mr. Remember, Mr. Bean was popular. Yeah, there was a year, a number of years where they made movies. Oh, that shit is stupid as fuck. I fucking hate it. <laughs> I remember seeing one of those movies. I definitely, theater. I definitely saw a Mr. B movie in the theater. Why? I don't Why? Know. Just dying, just dying, laughing. He doesn't say shit. Yeah. <laughs> I like how we. This motherfucker that. never says shit. It's so funny. Yeah, fucking Rowan Atkinson, fucking 
Get in that bag by he, not saying he's, shit. He's so expressive. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean, like the fucking scrunch face? <laughs> you, you, almost, you almost know what's on his fucking mind, dude. <laughs> I love him. That's just, that's just a really fucking stupid era. Dude, I don't know. I don't know how we pivoted, Mister Man. Fuck, man. I don't know. I guess the last thing to talk about is the ending of the movie, which we already mentioned was at the power station boiler room or whatever it is, which is obviously throwback to Freddy's Lair, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, the you know boiler room nightmare world. But the thing is, it's like when Michael's like going the fight, he's like stops. He's telling his girlfriend to get out. He's like, "Hey, girl, I love you." And then goes back in. That's like that shit's hard. Yeah, he's getting he's getting ready to fucking throw down, and then gets fucking giant rocks and fucking logs thrown at him. Yeah, that's true. Like it's fucking Donkey Kong up in there. But they're obviously made of styrofoam, and they're like, well, they, <laughs> it's all weird. Yeah, they, they have the weight <laughs> of styrofoam. I mean, that might be the one. The one. The one wonky effect is all those fucking rocks and logs, and yeah. like we're also where why does a power station have rocks and logs laying around? What is that? But I don't know. But the 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 showdown's pretty good, especially when he's levitating and they get you know kill Virgil Tony. There is that fucking Elm Street, also could say Evil Dead moment when they have like Virgil Tony gets crushed by whatever that fucking thing is that is not a styrofoam rock or log. Yeah, and he's like, "Hey man, it's Tony. I'm fixed." And it's like, "No, you're not. Your face still looks all fucked up." Yeah, I was like, "That's not gonna work." And then fucking Michael falls for and gets levitated. So, but, you know, I, I think as ridiculous and kitchen sink as the movie is, I think it's a great, you know, it's a great 80s horror movie. Yeah. It's, it's a fun one. It's, it's definitely worth seeing. I really enjoyed it, man. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of our final thoughts on it. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of good fits outside of that fucking dinosaur pajamas. Yeah. I don't know if it was just uh, due to watching it with someone else, but it's definitely way funnier this time around. Um, and like I say, I just I definitely had more of a love for like the nostalgia factor the first time around. Like it just felt, it just felt like a lost film that I should have seen at the time. Yeah. Um. You know. I mean, it's got all the elements. It's like it's got a synth score, which a lot of people love. Granted, it is a not very good, <laughs> yeah. very not very terrible synth score, but mm-hmm. like it still has something. So it's going to evoke that era, regardless of how good or bad it is. You know, it has gore effects. It's got like you know, it's got enough ridiculous like on the nose eighty shit. Where I think like when people try to like redo like eighties horror stuff, that's the kind of shit they think is but like because this came out in that era yeah it it it's authentic where someone else is trying to put up a fucking i don't know christy brinkley poster and a fucking ferrari and what other shit uh eight to 35 year old child would have in their bedroom at their parents house i don't know i i think it's a pretty solid thing and like you know so I guess the wrap up here is like how on a scale from one to ten, how much of an Elm Street ripoff do you think this really is? Uh, I'd probably give this on uh, on you know, I'd probably give it like a six or a seven on the Freddy scale. You know, I I kind of I wouldn't agree with that. I think six, maybe six and a half is yeah. a fair assessment because I know it's sold as like you know the Mexican like Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff, yeah. but like. 
I feel like because of the evil deadness of it and maybe a little bit of Witchboard and, like, that kind of stuff, I, I think there's enough things that, like, clearly it's an influence. Mm-hmm. And especially towards the end where, like, he definitely does the low, like, rah, rah, bitch or whatever thing. Right. Like, there's definitely those Freddy moments. But I, I feel like overall, because of the way those Elm Street movies work, and as we were talking about, like, especially during that, like, the, the classroom scene where, like, which was the most on the nose, I think, out of all the mm-hmm. Elm Street stuff. It's like, there's a certain vibe to that first Elm Street that, like, I, that I don't think any movie has really recaptured, and that's including other Elm Street sequels. Right. There's something about that first one that, like, works in its own unique way that, like, has never been replicated. And I think a lot of the Freddy aping comes from, like, the sequels on. Yeah. 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 But that first one was tr- truly something special. It's truly creepy. It, like, especially when we were younger and seeing oh, yeah. it like it really affected me as a kid well i i think it's because it's actually dark and yeah. freddie is sinister before he became a stand-up comedian totally and like you know and we talked a little bit about this and i know we're not talking about dope panic we're talking about the movies it's you know aping or mm-hmm. one of the movies aping but like i feel like and you said it if they had only done elm street one and two and never made another one i think it'd be i mean despite being like you know, something that everyone knows, it would be just legendary if yeah. it was just those first two films. And, like, and I like the, and, like, I, I'm one of those defenders of part two. I think part two is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, like, in every way and in every interpretation you can have of it. Because it's like the, it's like the point counterpoint. Because, like, yeah, Freddy starts having jokes in the second one, and obviously there's, like, the homoerotic angle to it as well. But, like, I think they work uniquely on their own where nowhere else in the series it kind of like hits the same where I think, you know, I, I've i already said I'm not a big Dream Warriors fan. Yeah. And I think like that just like, that's that's the movie where most people like, that's where their allegiance of when they think of Elm Street, that's what they think of. When I think of Elm Street, I think of those first two movies. I think of the first one just being dark, mean, fucking brutal, nasty. Yeah. Like that's the Wes Craven that, clearly the Wes Craven that made Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes and shit like that is still in there making that Elm Street. Whereas, like, you know, again, like, I feel like it's going to be blasphemous saying this. Like, I'm not the biggest, like, Wes Craven stan. Yeah. And I there's things I like. I like Deadly Friend, which I know not a lot of people like. I like it because it's, like, so tonally out of whack because, like, they try to do one movie, and they're like, no, you have to do this movie this way, where, like, it doesn't really meet the needs. But I think, like, that first Elm Street movie is perfect. In a way, like, a lot of horror movies never achieve. Like, sort of like how Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original 74, is perfect. And, like, how Halloween is perfect. Where it's just, like, there's something in that formula that's never been replicated in any of the sequels, remakes, or whatever. And, like, but the reason why I'm saying this for Don't Panic is I think when there's moments when it kind of touches back to that first Elm Street movie, it reminds me of that first Elm Street movie. And, like it's kind of a testament to like, don't panic kind of getting it right. Right. Obviously there's a lot of ridiculous shit in the movie, but like when it kind of like harkens back to the first Elm street and like kind of the, the actual terror and like the meanness of it, mm-hmm. I think it, it's, you know, it's a close kinship. So I don't know. I think that the ultimately why this one didn't do the same and, and have like a shit ton of sequels is ultimately because, uh, 
Virgil just isn't a very strong villain. You no. know? Like it just it's not memorable. Where even even before Freddy came with all the jokes and shit in, in like the second and beyond, you know, in the first he was still memorable even when it was a bit darker and fucked up. And I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, that's a testament to Robert England. And this yeah. is something we talked about kind of last episode with Evil Dead. And, like, you know, I enjoyed that last Evil Dead movie that just came out, Evil Dead Rise. But I don't think the franchise really fully worked without Bruce Campbell because mm-hmm. that's your face. Yeah. And, like, I feel like when it's something, it's sort of like you can't redo Phantasm without Angus. Yeah. As the tall man. I don't, and I don't think they're, they're, I'm sure at some point someone's going to approach a remake of it that Coscarelli might or might not sign off on, depending. But I, I can't see anyone else being the tall man. Because he's synonymous. And, like, I know they just did a Candyman, like, reboot or whatever that did call back to Tony Todd. But it's like, when I think Candyman, I only think Tony Todd because, like, it's him. You know? Oh, yeah. He owned, and, like, that's, it's something to think about, like, when you're the face of franchise. It's it's why, like, with Michael Myers and Jason, they don't, you know, I know people love them, but people really fucking love Freddy yeah. in a way that, and it's part of it is just the charisma of Robert England. I think in part two, they tried to recast him at some point. Oh, really? And they had a stunt double in there for a couple of shots, and then they realized it just didn't fucking work. Mm-hmm. And they actually paid Robert England, gave him a bag, and he came back, and... Well, they it's like they they gave him such great makeup. Yeah. Whereas instead of just covering up his face with with the hockey mask, with the you know with the the shape mask. Yeah. You know, it was actually it was still even though it was like very obscured, it was still Robert England's face. Yeah. And it's and it was Robert England being Robert England that made it Freddy, and it wasn't just some shapeless thing chasing you and some some like just it's, ominous it's a performance oh yeah it, it's I mean, a it's a full you know, on Kane Kane Hodder and the guy that did it before him and whatever they didn't really ha- they didn't have to be actors yeah sure they were big and menacing but they they didn't have to do a whole lot to be Jason or to be Michael Myers I I personally think like sure I'll give them the credit that they're due but no but it, they're, they're just a guy with a fucking mask on that's just chasing well I mean a lot, of the, a lot of those dudes who played Michael Myers and like you know Jason were stuntmen yeah. And that's not a knock on their acting ability. I mean, Kane Hodder's done plenty of other things, and he's been good at it. Well, Freddy wasn't jumping through windows, really. No. You know, he wasn't doing the big physical stuff. Yeah. He I mean, at, but, but when you but when you get down to <laughs> Freddy versus Jason, he's doing fucking wire work and that shit. Yeah, true. But, but that, um, that's that's, be, that's when you hire a Hong Kong director and Ronnie Yu's directing. So nah. that's, that's kind of cool to see Freddy doing Freddy Foo. Mm-hmm. I saw in the theater. I mean, that was... Uh, uh, Ever since we were kids, there were there were rumors swirling around. I mean, there were rumors swirling around for almost twenty years of like Freddy versus Jason. But like, was that some shit that just like some kid made up on the playground? You know, no, and, but... uh, the, the, it didn't become a thing until like actually New Line got mm-hmm. the rights from Paramount. Yeah, and then they were setting up because like Jason goes to hell was that's where you first saw the glove come out and then grab the hockey mask. So yeah, they they built it up for good years, and I was like, I was. I think four, 13 or 14 when that movie came out. And mm-hmm. then like by the time they actually got to Freddy versus Jason, I was thinking it was like 21, 22 at yeah, that point. It right. took a while because like, that's why Jason X happened because they had to make a Friday the 13th movie or their rights would lapse, mm. which is kind of, and I like, I actually like Jason X yeah. because of just how fucking weird it is. And I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm not a big franchise horror guy. We talked about, but like I can, point out things i like in any of those franchises but like i think ultimately like you know when it came to freddy versus jason kane hotter didn't get the call they brought in a completely different guy no shit they i and it was just that's what happened but they sure shit made sure they had robert england yeah. 
and like you know and that's kind of where like the guy playing virgil tony or whatever it's like it's not like he's bad or anything but he's just like he's just another dude in fucking makeup where it's like you know say what you will about that freddy krueger franchise robert england fucking made it his own and that's like even doing Freddy's Nightmares where he's just doing hosting segments. There's like him showing up on talk shows, coming out in Freddy Krueger makeup and like really just fucking embodying it. Because he also was in V before that. So he's used to acting through makeup. Yeah. And he was also an actor. He was in like Stay Hungry with Schwarzenegger. He's in um, he's in um, fucking Eaten Alive, the Toby Hooper movie. Um, th- blanking on some other things he was in before. Oh, The Big Wednesday. He's mm-hmm. in the surfing movie. He's the guy fucking narrating it with Jan Michael Vincent and shit. Okay. So, like, you know, Robert England was an actor. Mm-hmm. And he was just coming through. So, I don't, I don't know when the, this episode will probably not even drop until after. But uh, but next, uh, I think, it's the 11th, we're doing a uh, we're doing a Robert England tribute for the yeah. via the American Cinematheque. Uh, it's taking place down at the Arrow. Yeah. So, by the time this airs, by the time you hear this, it'll probably be over. But we're showing Stay Hungry and Nightmare 3, Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah, we're, they're, so, they're actually but, uh, showing a variety from yeah. his career. It's so, not just it's a Freddy kind of, marathon. It's kind of, yeah, right. And it's kind of a, it's kind of coincidental that we're doing this, like, fake Freddy Krueger episode now. But we've just <laughs> been, we've been threatening to do this for at least six months. So, it's just kind of like, oh, shit, we're actually doing this right before that happens. And then but, it's not going to come out yeah, until I'm, after. Man, I'm not, I'm not fucking editing editing this shit anytime soon but <laughs> well yeah remember we edited it twice but yeah i i think that's a good place to take a little break here but when we return more Fre- of freddy's knockoffs here on the cinematic boy podcast so are you ready michael yeah one, one two, two. Promise never to play with the Ouija board again. Oh, man. oh my God! Hey, you guys, maybe he's right. We shouldn't play this game. Tony. <laughs> Welcome back. We've been talking about some movies that were inspired by the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And up next, well, actually, before we get up next, I should say that we've hinted at this episode for like six fucking months now, maybe even longer. And boy, is our timing just absolute shit. One, there's that fucking marathon with Robert England showing up at the Cinematheque that's going to be pretty much happening this weekend as we're recording. It'll be already done by the episode coming out. And then when we did the first movie, Don't Panic, you know, we we're like, all right, cool, we got this done finally. On Joe Bob Briggs on the last drive-in, they play Don't Panic that night. Yeah, yeah it's just a funny coincidence. As soon as I posted it, people were like, oh yeah, I'm watching that tonight on Joe Bob. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah, it, I had no clue. It's it's. So. I would use the word synergy, but like, it's not synergy because we're coming way fucking late on this. So I mean, basically, we've been talking about it, and then they took our idea. Is what happened. <laughs> 
Probably. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Probably. No. Probably. I mean, you know, the way with the last drive-in program stuff, it's like they have a library stuff, and they, they do play a lot of Vinegar Syndrome stuff, which Don't Panic is under. Gotcha. Same with Severin and all that. So, like, anytime we talk about any of our friends' boutique label shit, there's a good chance that something like this is going to happen. It actually happens in my regular programming. It hasn't happened in a while, but there was a time where, like, there was a couple things I would play, and then would end up on there, and, like, it... I don't think it's real. It's just a coincidence, really, because, like, you know, pulling from the same kind of catalogs. Yeah. So, but I did think that was funny. However, as we record this part of the podcast here, I doubt this is going to pop up on the upcoming Last Drive-In. Since yeah. it's, I think it's a Mother's Day themed, and I don't think there's a single thing that's going to tie that in. Yeah, what's your guess? What do you think they're going to play? Uh, they already played the movie Mother's Day, so I don't know. I think it might be. I think it might be a new thing, an old thing. I don't know offhand because, like, I have to look at what's on Shutter and whatever, and I could pull, pull a guess, but I'm not really prepared. But we should talk about what we just watched, which, you know, I don't think you had a good time with this one, did you? It's fine. It's fine. Um, I, 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 it's, it's. I mean, it's excruciatingly long. Even if you did. Yeah, Jim. Jim wanted to skip past the uh, the musical numbers I, so bad. We haven't even named the film yet, but we're no, going into I, details I, here. I, I offered it because like it's a long runtime. Yeah, and like it's a long ass movie. It, it's a long ass movie that's not about anything. Yeah, so well, that's it, why it's. I love a long movie. Yeah, well, I know you do, but it's just like you know those, those elements, and we'll get into musical numbers and all that. So I guess we just go ahead and say the film is 1994's Mahakal, a.k.a. The Monster. It was directed by Shyam and Tulsi Ramsey, the famous Ramsey brothers who made all kinds of Bollywood horror movies. Actually, Mondo Macabro just put out a box set of a bunch of their films. I think it's six or so in that box set. I watched one of those recently, and that one was a lot of fun. And I've in the this one I've seen a few times. And, like, even in this rewatch, like, I always like, yeah, this is fun, this is fun. But I think when we're trying to analytically break it down and just, like, I think Bollywood movies, like, unless you're a super fan, you have to be in the mood for it. And that's just with anything. And I don't think either of us were really in the mood for it, which is probably the other reason why we pushed this episode off for six months. Because it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, I've seen Don't Panic and I've seen this. It's just like, am I in the mood to watch it? Yeah. Which is why we're gonna just pivot and not talk about movies on this podcast. So all the uh, all the Ramsey stuff are they all uh, kind of remakes of other popular horror titles? I, I think is, so. is that how most Bollywood film works? Uh, it's a little sometimes yes, sometimes no. And like you know, maybe about twenty years ago, Bruce Holacek used to like order disc and get like tons of fucking Bollywood movies. Okay, and there was a good like three or four months, maybe not that much, but it felt like it at times, but. We would just watch nothing but Bollywood movies. And I remember we watched a, um, um, I know what you just did last summer, Mm -hmm. like fucking Bollywood musical. And like, it was good, but it's just like, you know, and I will say this for a Bollywood length, most of them clock in over three hours, closer to four. Wow. These, These are like two and a half and they, you know, they're not, there is the musical numbers, but we'll talk a little bit more as we're going. So... For those you who haven't seen it, basically the plot is a demon torments the family and friends of Anita, who is basically the Nancy of your Elm Street lore here. And in order to take revenge on the de- on his death, based you know, you know, Freddy got murdered. you know you know the movie yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it's, you've it's, seen it already. Yeah. <laughs> so then, so 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 basically, this movie. 
loosely follows a Nightmare on Elm Street 1. There are some differences, and we'll get there as we go. First thing I noticed on IMDb, IMDb, and I don't know if this is true, it says it was an authorized remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. A lot of Bollywood movies are not authorized. Like, a few years back when the Cinematheque reopened, they showed Screwed for Christmas, and um, we did a super cut of, like, scenes from the Bollywood version of Screwed. Mm Mm-hmm. And kind of cut them in, and like, you know, some scenes are pretty dead on that what's in the movie, others are like take their liberties and stuff like that. But I I don't know how copyright works in India, and I'm not gonna proclaim I do, but like they a lot of Bollywood movies will be remakes or reimagining of bigger hit movies from other countries. Like I remember seeing one that had like exact shots from like the professional, Leon the Professional, like framing and everything. And this one I mean, was Screwed that popular here? Like, that's a weird one. I think they just did. It, they just did any movie. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just a platform. So, <laughs> but you know, this movie was allegedly started. They started filming in 1988, and it was released in 1994. So I don't know if that. I don't think they shot all those years. They might have like shot it, didn't get a chance to edit it. I don't. I don't profess to know why there's like such a gap there. Yeah. But you know. There's the the opening, which, you know, starts out, looks like an Elm Street movie, kind of feels like an Elm Street movie. And I'll say, like, cinematography-wise and shots and stuff like that, it's a really fucking gorgeous movie. Massacre Video put out this version. I originally saw this when uh, Mondo Macabro put it out on DVD, and then this came out on Blu-ray. And I think it was on one of my top picks for, um, when we were top five Blu-ray picks for a few years back. I forget what year it was. It was either, it's been... I don't know. I lost track on the pandemic. I was curious of the history of something like this. You said Bruce had like a DVD or something way back in the day. Oh, not, the, like, not this movie, just Bollywood movies in general. Oh, okay. But like, what's the history of something like this? Like, how did this? How did we get here to where uh, Masker's doing the blue, uh, a nice Blu-ray of it? Has, I, has it been like very rare before that? Has this been like a sought-after thing? No, no. I mean, Mondo Macabro put out a decent DVD release of it, mm-hmm. and that was out. And then they all, Mondo Macabro just did the Ramsey Brothers box set of two. I think Massacre just kind of licensed it, and I I know when it came out because they put it out at the same time as the same time as their Toxic Zombies disc, mm-hmm. and this one was selling pretty good. Cool. I mean, it's in it's a you know Bollywood Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. That's a selling point for a lot of people. Like, Oh, for sure. People what, would buy that sight and scene. Exactly. But I, I was curious if there's there's just been a, a legend of this existing since, you know, since 94 and, and now people are checking it out. Or I'd never heard of it until until Masker did this, you know. But yeah, that, I mean, you know, that's just me. It, it's just been out. And it's, it's like a lot of things. I think the things I'm seeing, like cult cinema wise, like I think the European stuff is kind of it's not going away, mm-hmm. you know. Plenty of people were still putting out Italian, you know, lost Giallo films from the 70s, lost Spanish stuff. But I'm seeing a lot of Hong Kong stuff and I'm seeing a lot of like Indian and like Pakistani yeah. and like that kind of stuff is starting to come out and come back again. Cool. Which is, so I it think, comes in waves. It comes in waves. Like, you know, I, you know, there'll probably be another like kind of ja- Japanese horror boom or like Takeshi, mm-hmm. Takeshi Mike kind of thing. Cause, yeah. like, I think all those things are due to come back. Cause like Hong Kong stuff is getting big again and like, you know, I think there's going to be more Bollywood horror stuff coming here and there. So I think it's just a wave of like, you know, there's only so many times you can put out the same fucking movie on Blu-ray, 4K, whatever. Yeah. People are going to want to be adventurous and like, you know, give a chance to like some world cinema, like world genre cinema. Totally. 
So I think that's what's going on. We were talking about like the how this was authorized or not. I can tell you what was not authorized in this movie. The use of Michael Jackson's thriller. Hell yeah. Puma Man. Yeah, dude. That dude. I don't know. I didn't write down the character's name, but like that dude in that red Puma fucking tracksuit. Best character in the movie. He's real sick. He he should have actually killed the fucking monster or the Freddy of this movie. But <laughs> he should have been the final girl. Yeah, he should have been the final girl. That guy was fucking sick. Like, he's got dance moves, everything. Like, that guy was kind of just fucking rad. But, like, we should just overall talk about the fits in this movie. Because we talked about it in um, Don't Panic. And, like, there are some sick outfits in this. Sick outfits and a complete lack. Actually, no, I'm wrong. Uh, I will say I will rate the pajamas in this film a million times better. The dad had the robe. Oh yeah, they, the dad had the sick like paisley robe that just destroys this goofy dinosaur. fucking dinosaur pajamas. <laughs> oh, I agree. Like the yeah, pajama wise, people are just killing it in this movie. So, but but clothing overall, like everyone, dude. There's that sick uh the sick Iron Maiden shirt. Yeah, what is that? It's like a it's like a collared like baby blue shirt with like it's from like um. I wasn't I wasn't big on the the style of shirt, but the um, but the colors and and the actual design itself. Yeah, because like, it's real sick. I think of, I think it was like, can I play with madness? Like from like the twelve inch cover. I think nice. that was the art on it. And it's like, did they ever make shirts like that, or is it like a fucking giant iron? I like think it might be a fucking iron on, which is cool as hell. Dude, but, but yeah, like, but everybody else, you know, it's just that that. I mean, shit. That I mean, this is the nineties, right? But like. Maybe maybe culture was still kind of the, they were still culturally in the eighties you know it's, yeah. it's just like the awesome like windbreakers like like this is I mean when was uh, don't panic was that it like, was it was like eighty six eighty seven yeah, so. yeah yeah so I mean it's like stylistically they're kind of in, in that same zone of fashion yeah you know it feels like it's it feels like it's eighty six and not fuck it well it was eighty eight I guess right yeah. they started filming it in eighty eight and so. then it come out to ninety four so I wonder like, if they had like well we better hang on to these clothes. They're, yeah. still, they're still dressing like it's 88 when they're fucking yeah. still filming in 94. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know if they were still filming that later. They just finished the fi- Like, they shot the film and just didn't Totally, totally, it. yeah. Like, that's where it's kind of at. So, but, um, but either way, no matter no matter when it was shot, it, it doesn't matter if it was shot today. They look fucking fantastic, dude. Yeah. Sickest, sick clothing that some some of it I wish I had. Yeah, dude. There, there's, yeah, there's, there's some fucking stylish motherfuckers in this movie. Uh, I the guess co- like the color palette, everything. I mean, like to just add to like the clothing stuff, oh, yeah. like, uh, you know, the, the color in this, it kind of changes. We, we'd noticed that, yeah. that some of the color changes, you know, probably the, uh, yeah, I think it might be the color time from wherever the source was mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking at the Blu-ray offhand, but it definitely looks like it wasn't sourced from a, ne- I mean, it could have been from a negative. Cause like my understanding is like places like, you know, China and India, don't necessarily have great film preservation mm-hmm. or it did at the time or maybe because of what the genre is. Yeah. So like you can definitely see some scratches and some like a little off color. And I think we both caught some missing frames here and there, mm-hmm. which was, you know, it was on the Blu-ray, but it's like, it didn't detract from it. Cause like the, the film is pretty fucking gorgeous. Even yeah, it's really nice. Even when you get outside the nightmare, like really stylized, like nightmare on Elm street stuff, mm-hmm. the rest of the film looks really good. It's just nice and colorful. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I I don't hate this. I don't hate this. It it looks fucking great, and and it's really well done. It's really it's really nicely made. Yeah. It, it truly is. Like, I have to admire the craft. If anything, I might have been I might have hated the musical numbers. Yeah, <laughs> I might have been a little bored. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about the musical numbers. So like honestly, there's only three. 
like three real ones were like yeah i suppose but they're but they're like fucking at least what feels like seven minutes a piece yeah well normal bollywood movies have more yeah and like you know the they kind of did an okay job incorporating them into the plot because there's a lot of Bollywood movies where the musical numbers will be completely mm-hmm. unrelated to whatever the fuck is going on in the movie. Like, it's a hard break. I mean, I... Uh. Well, well, they they all kind of lead into it. So, like, so the first one, you know, they're at the beach, mm-hmm. which is very Nightmare on Elm Street because, you know, I remember when all the kids are hanging out at the beach. Hell yeah. Okay, that didn't actually happen. The, but the, I think there's a scene where Freddy's glove it like comes out of the sand and it's the blades coming at you while you're fucking laying on the beach. Or that was just the beginning of this movie. I don't remember. Well, that that wasn't in this at all. Okay. But, like, but, <laughs> but there's a beach scene. So what? So something crazy happens there. I don't even remember. We watched that like yeah. last week. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we it, watched the first ten minutes last week and the rest today. Yeah. Which makes no sense. But yeah. Well, I mean, I think for the, <laughs> I, I don't think anything horror wise happened in this beach scene. It's, okay. it's just a musical number. They're just enjoying a day at the oh, beach. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. And, like, that might be the one that is, like, the least related. But I guess they were just, like, out of school. Let's go to the fucking beach. Mm-hmm. That's cool. The second song is, like, they go and have a picnic. And it's just, like, it's literally a fucking musical number about having a picnic. Is that when the homie Michael Jackson pops up? No, that was earlier. That was, like, they were, that was, like, at the beginning. Like, the dude, well, no, I, I, he pops up all the way through. He's yeah, dancing to all these. Yeah. Um, the picnic song actually leads to their car being broken down, and they have to stay the night at a hotel, which we'll get to because we'll talk about some of the other secondary characters that oh, kind of yeah. mm-hmm. stole the movie, as it were. And the last musical number, my the way I put it was like it's a dance club scene and like kind of like a Miami Sound Machine mm-hmm. musical number. And like shout out to the Puma Man dude because he's like in a heart, he's in a nice suit, Hell yeah. just vibing. Like he's like he's not even the focus of the song, but him being there. Takes it up notch. That's my favorite musical number. But um, the other thing I'll say about the musical number is like the first two happen pretty early on consistently, and then like there's a long stretch where like ain't no musical number. So this one comes relatively late, and it's just like I don't. I mean, maybe that's just the choice. Mm-hmm. But it just feels it feels weird, but if you're gonna do the musical numbers, that like they're kind of consistently paced out at one point, and then. Drop that one, like, pretty much within the last, like, 40 minutes of the movie or so. Yeah. It just seems like seems like odd, odd flex. Weird. Yeah, yeah. Weird timing. I, I recently, I recently, quick aside, I, I watched uh, Dancer in the Dark, you know, the Lars von Trier. With Bjork. With Bjork. And uh, and the first musical number hits, like, 45 minutes in or something. So, it, and, and I didn't quite know that it was a musical. Really? So when it hit, it was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, everybody just starts singing. Like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Uh, I, but then it happens numerous times after that. Yeah. It's also um, Lars Venture and, like, yeah. he's in control. But, but I think that, you know, uh, probably timing in your dance numbers is probably important to a, a musical to, to help with the flow. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it is kind of weird that then there's this huge span until the last one. But the last one was a great, like you said, it's the best one. It's, so. the, it's the best one. They saved the best for last. Mm-hmm. But... Maybe the placement was, I don't know. It, it it felt really late in the juncture when you're like in the home stretch trying mm-hmm. to get to the final point, and it's just like, <laughs> here we go. And one more fucking long ass song to get through. <laughs> now, the thing we also noticed, just like don't like look that, don't panic, is that everyone is eighteen going on thirty five. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> There's not a single fucking teenager in this fucking movie, but. You know, it, it is what it is. Uh, the other thing I want to kind of talk about is the actual score as opposed to the um, 
musical numbers. And it definitely has a little Charlie Bernstein original Elm Street vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, yeah. I think there's a couple times where they play the, we weren't sure if it's a tritone or whatever. It's the single note motif, the that thing. Yeah. But they play it just enough off to maybe not get sued. I don't know what the deal was. There's there's parts where it's just the, the notes. Yeah. There's a couple other there's a couple other musical numbers where I'm pretty sure from other movies that they just laid in, which mm-hmm. is another common like you know Bollywood thing. They I've heard watch Bollywood movies where you hear a very familiar music cue. Like Hong Kong used to do that. There I watched you there would be martial arts movies where there would be like Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath in it. Yeah. And just, like, shit that, like, you know, no one fucking cleared. So, but the one I watched another Ramsey movie the other day off that box set, and there was definitely some of that Friday the 13th score in it. Oh, wild. Like, pretty much it. Yeah. Someone else might have played it, and they might have changed it just barely or whatever, but, like, but I even when you get past the Elm Street stuff, there's some actually good tracks on there. And, like, I'll say... Drum programming on this stuff, on time. Yeah, they actually use the MIDI. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, after listening to Don't Panic, because, like, you know, I, when I watched Don't Panic, I never, you know, you think of the one theme song, but you don't think of the actual score. But when we were watching, we were paying attention. Like, damn, those drums are fucking off. Everything was everything was just off on it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just some dude playing, fucking up. Yeah. And this one, like, seems like whoever composed the music was, you know, attempting to keep the music in time. I thought the score was really good. So, I guess the best part of this movie is obviously when this movie is in its Elm Street bag and kind of recreating or inspired by things from mostly the first movie, but there's definitely, we saw bits of like three, four, and was it just three? It was one, three, and four. I think one, three, and four probably yeah. sums it up pretty well. So And a little, and then a few other movies, really. Yeah, we'll get it as we go. Like the, you know, there's the Tina murder, you know, which is like probably one of the, the one of the best known set pieces in this, where like you know in original Elm Street she gets like dragged across the fucking ceiling and all that, and it's fucking insane. Mm-hmm. They you know obviously they probably didn't have the budget to build a spinning room because that's how they did it in the original Elm Street, but like it's pretty effective how they killed the Tina character in this. Like you know she's she on, did it on the damn floor, did it on the floor, a bunch of fucking Freddy gloves popping up and like grabbing her. It was actually it's 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 very sick. It's actually one of the best uh, that. That and the wall one that oh, yeah. happens later are yeah. the two like probably the coolest things that happen and and they're very simple effects yeah but just, just shoving hands through fucking but, yeah things. Just <laughs> shoving hands in holes but they they pull it off super well and and I th- I think that one later that's towards the end of the movie it's more of like I maybe it's inadvertent just because of the nature but it reminded me of the Day of the Dead shot in the beginning oh, yeah. during it's, that where all the zombie hands push through that fucking wall I yeah I think it's a I would say it's an obvious homage you know like it's it has to be. Uh, so it's real sick. Oh, it definitely is. And like, I, I, you know, I'm trying to figure out like, what are my favorite, you know, nightmare Elm street esque things in this. I think this one was pretty good was like, you know, the recreation of the Tina and the plastic bag scene le- mm-hmm. leading the Nancy character out of the classroom and all that. Yeah. Like that fucking, that girl that was playing the Tina character with the, when she's got her like eyes, like all fucking like whited out and like there's blood. That shit's creepy. Yeah. it's cool. And when she, like, they're, instead of going to boiler room, they're in, like, an ice room. Yeah. Or, like, a meat locker. Or, I'm not sure what the fuck that was. Yeah. We, we were questioning, and it's like, you know, and I've seen this movie before. It's like, is that dry ice? Is it just regular ice? I it's just regular ice. I, th- I think they get deliveries every morning of these big, giant pieces of regular ice, and it cools the building. 
Maybe. I was trying to figure it out. You know, that's a good theory. We'll just go with that. Uh, there's one thing about that dead eye Tina character. There, she starts laughing at one point, and I'm—I don't want to say 100, percent but I'm pretty sure it's just like they took the laugh from I think Linda and Evil Dead and just okay. dropped it in there. If you want, if you guys want to go watch the movie and get to that scene and listen, I think it is. Yeah, or it's someone doing a damn good impersonation, but it sounds like exact. Right on. But you know, there's a little other like. Just like, don't panic. There's some Evil Dead drops in here too. Um, you know, it's I. I think this scene's a good reinterpretation of the one from the original Elm Street. Mm-hmm. There's like obviously it follows the the main objective of what happened in that one, but like, it's just enough weird choices in it. And I think like that fucking Tina character is fucking creepy as fuck, especially when she gets pushed on the hook and then she's like, yeah, floating backwards. Like it's just some yeah. weird creepy shit. Um, another thing they recreate is the Rod in jail scene, the character Rod that goes to jail because he killed the Tina character in the movie. And unlike this one where like he gets kind of strangled and hangs himself, Freddy dude shows up. He doesn't walk through the gate because I guess they didn't have the optical effect to do it. He just opens the fucking door and walks in, but he's like slashing the wall and fucking snakes come out. Yeah, yeah, he's slashing the concrete, and he just like go, goes right through it like it's butter. It's it's sick. I mean, it might have been actual butter, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, and then snakes started crawling through the uh, the holes in the wall that he created. It was it's actually also one of the coolest things in the movie for sure. Like, I mean, they had fucking cobras in that scene. Yeah, and it's just like damn. There's a shot where like the actors clearly right. I mean, they might have used like a telephoto lens and kind of cheated a little bit, but it's like. He's damn near close to those cobras. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now those cobras might have been devenomed or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. But like, I think some of it, like, you know, there'd be like eight snakes coming out of the wall and probably like three of them are real. You yeah. Know, the rest are just like rubber snakes. But it's but it's to great effect. Yeah. So that was, a, would say, a pretty good segment in there. Um, there's a little nod to Elm Street 3 where, like, the father character. We should talk about the dad character right here. Like, I guess he's in the military or something. There's not really any police in him because it. it I mean, unless I, I don't know what Indian, you know, police force looks like, but like, it looks like he's like a general or some shit, mm-hmm. at least uniform wise. I could be reading that along, but like, you know, he, there's, I guess he's the John Saxon of this movie yeah. and like him and like Nancy's, the Nancy character's boyfriend, like goes and like, they go dig up the Freddy grave and he's not in there. And then he's just blowing up shit in a field. Mm-hmm. Well, not, not quite the Elm Street three where the Freddy skeleton comes up and like, attack some and shit but like you know lots of expl- I can go complain about explosions yeah um there's also that Freddy in a car scene which I offhand I don't think was from any of those Elms, any Elm Street movie but like you know it's a pretty good it's another great sequence and like and you pointed out it's like hey they use that same filter where the lights kind of like mm-hmm. have that weird like you know star effect thing and it's like yeah tying all these together hell yeah and I think there's more Evil Dead stuff. There's definitely a shaky cam bit where it's like the camera's running through the house and goes to the Nancy character's like bedroom, and then like that becomes a possession scene. She becomes possessed by the Freddy character for a bit, mm-hmm. and I guess you know goes and kills like one of the bullies or scummy guys. Dude, the fucking uh, the aquarium scene, man. Oh, the aquarium scene. Actually, oh yeah, fuck, I forgot about the aquarium scene. That shit is like. I guess if you don't have a boiler room, but you have an aquarium, use the fucking aquarium. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, that that was great. Like especially f- when when uh, when 
I, I want to call him Freddy. I don't, what did he have a name even? Or is he, he's the monster. He's the monster. You know, yeah. but I, he's like in one of the tanks. And he, bur- <laughs> and he busts out and like sprays her with water and shit. It's fucking terrifying, dude. It is. I don't know. It's fucking. It's fucking. It's sick. Like straight up, it's fucking sick. Um, another they do a kind of a it's kind of a double flip on a couple of Elm Street things. There's the I guess it's not the Johnny Depp surrogate character. I think it's just another villain character, but mm-hmm. he kind of gets that death. It's like there's this guy like when the Nancy character or Anita is possessed and goes over to this dude's house and he's like thinks he's gonna knock boots or some shit like that, and then like all of a sudden he pulls back his bed and she's under in the waterbed. Yeah. And, like, it's really good. And all of a sudden, like, fucking the hockle fucking pops out and fucking grabs him and pulls him in. And then, like, you don't get that geyser blood shooting out, but you definitely get, like, it's definitely filled with, like, red or maybe some red light or something like that at the end. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is really well done, too. Yeah. Um, there was something else I was going to say about that, and I can't remember what it was. Back when people had water beds, people do do people have water beds anymore? No, I had one as a kid. You know, but that was, like, a, a trendy thing during, like, in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, it, it's funny. Oh, oh! Now I remember about waterbed. There's, there's a shot like I think in Elm Street Four where like there's people inside Freddy, like the Lost Souls are pushing inside, and you can mm-hmm. see like that was kind of reminiscent of that oh, yeah. waterbed. That was the other note I was gonna say. So get your double Elm Street there. I guess we'll talk about the ending a little bit. So you got the Nancy character who you find out that her sister was killed by the Freddy character that the dad then killed. But I guess this is where it gets a little like the guy's already burned up when the dad first runs into him back in the day and buries him alive. So it's just like, how do you get burned? Or is he just always the demon? And then by burying him, did it put him in the dream world? I guess that's just a little yeah, plot hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Did it, did it show the dad kind of laid him on fire in the box or something? Like It, no, it kind of seemed like it was going to go there. Yeah, it was supposed to go there, but the guy was already burned up when he like huh, showed really? up. So like... Shit. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess he just said he was already a demon, but then it's just like, yeah, okay. But then like he's like an earthly demon. Yeah, and then he became a super powered in your dream demon. Right, but he did just escape from that. But like the box is empty, yeah. so like he escaped. He's in reality. Well, maybe he's always been a dream demon. Yeah, but he was he was definitely out in reality because the dad was awake. Well, he's when... still in reality, or is he? Is he not? I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? You know. Instead of maybe the musical numbers, they could have, should have cleared that shit up. <laughs> yeah, but he's like somewhere else, just like you know, in his in his lair. But he's just projecting himself into people's dreams from his lair. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? It, it's good. It, it wasn't. There wasn't a lot of clarity on it. Yeah. And maybe that's fine. Um, we'll talk about the ending here since we're talking about the Elm Street stuff. The ending's definitely not anything from an Elm Street movie, I guess, because they they have the showdown with Freddy in his lair, and like at first, like. You know, they try to kung fu his ass up again. Yeah, like the boyfriend's like fucking just beating him, and like yeah. it's like it's like the Dream Warriors. That it's like definitely the the Nightmare Three parts. It's just like they're just trying to fucking use some karate on Freddy. It's like <laughs> why if the dude's killing people in their dreams, why the fuck do you think that would work? Everybody knows when you punch in your dreams, you punch in slow motion. Yeah, well, there was some definitely some slow mo in there. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's is that, that's not just me, right? Like that's a no, that's a, a that's a real thing. Yeah, that's like that's my understanding. Like when you dream, like you like, ever get a good punch off in in a dream? I don't know if I ever have. You don't. Not my because, whole life. Like if you ever had dreams where you're hitting someone or something like yeah. that, I have like a lot it, of those. No. <laughs> you know, I'm really violent. It's just me. Just it's just punch. Street Fighter. Street Fighter. <laughs> Fuck, dude. Uh 
At, at this point, maybe I should consider saying, <laughs> you know, try some therapy. But you know, I, may, I, but I, but I, you're I'm, getting it out in your dreams. I'm not a, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not a I'm not an angry guy. No, you're not actually. I, you know, I take that shit. I take that shit out of my sleep. You're just like fucking come back to reality. Like I'm chill, dude. You're like fuck you, dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but like, the, Freddy's lair had some. There, I'd say some convenient things laying around that I'm not sure why he had. He had a giant guillotine and uh, one of those, like, medieval, like, nail bed torture things. And at both points, it's like, you know, maybe it wasn't wise to have both those things. Because, one, he gets his legs chopped off by the guillotine. And then I I think it's a pretty good effect, but I'm pretty sure they found an amputee to sub in for the guy that was playing Freddy for a bit. Or, as your theory was, the guy was... I think he was always an amputee. And was they on gave stilts. Him, they gave him some stilts. And at the end, they they took the stilts away and had him fucking crawl around. I mean, you never or know. Or they chopped his legs off for the movie. Could be. Sometimes you got to do that for art. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, so he's crawling around. And it's just like, you know, he gets punched. He got stabbed with something. And it's just like, I guess. Well, they did say something earlier in the movie that the only way to get rid of there's a they're, they're talking to some, like, mystical guy. I think you're like, oh, they're going to the Holy Mountain was your quote on that. Mm-hmm. And the guy said the only way to get rid of him is, like, the dismember him. Yeah. So I guess that checks. Yeah. So there just happens to be a, a giant guillotine a, there. Guillotine in his fucking lair. And then there's also <laughs> that giant, like, nail bed press thing. Yeah. Where, like, the, the fucking boyfriend character is, like, manually fucking cranking it down. It's, it's all just, slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it kills him, you know? But, you know, that's, you know, the Elm Street elements. Um, there's a couple of other things I want to mention. I think there's actually more fight scenes, like physical fight scenes. Not with, you know, the Freddy character, but between characters. Like, there's some fucking, like, you know, street fighting going on. Mm-hmm. Like, at least three different scenes where people were just fucking beating ass. And then, my you know, Puma Man, best character in the movie, mm-hmm. he has nunchucks in one of these fights. I yeah. mean, he's not really fucking using them to full effect, but, like, Dude, he's got nunchucks. I think if you're, I think if you're waving them around, you know, you've used them to their full effect. Yeah, yeah. Not a whole lot. I mean, you know, you could go bonk somebody with them, but like he waved them around a little bit. Now, I, yeah, yeah, he kind of did. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is, you know, uh, our other favorite character, who's I guess the guy that owns the hotel with the Hitler mustache. Dude, he has a, a sick parted in the middle bowl cut and a Hitler mustache, and was just insane en- enthusiastic yeah and he was also peeping tom yeah which dude, he was he was sick as hell that's one thing that I, <laughs> but you know what he's peeping on is like a girl painting her like toenails or whatever which is probably as edgy as you can get in a bollywood movie okay i i think like religious wise they don't have anything like okay sexual or like you don't even see anyone really kiss on the lips or anything mm-hmm. so towing around so but although there's a lot of implied rape yeah actually there's there is quite a bit in this movie like every time like or or, i don't know it's not rape it's more like sexual assault well i mean you know it's like attempted i mean it's like uh there are multiple scenes where there are like four or five guys that are like holy shit there's a pretty girl over there yeah and then they just like run follow her and chase her down and and knock her on the ground and hold her down i mean so it's not you know it's yeah. it's maybe implied i don't know but uh that does occur more than once in this film so yeah there's two times there's earlier when like there's like the group of bad kids or whatever they do it to like the nancy character and it's like yeah it's it's a it's quite racy 
Yeah. And like so, that that leads in one of the fight scenes. And then like there's another one where it's just some random dudes. Like yeah. the the one dude that has like the fucking devil lock that looks like bootleg Jerry only or yeah. something like that. And where he's like, I'm the goon of the city or some shit. <laughs> I'm the goon of the city. Like oh, yeah. where they introduce like that other character who calls himself grandpa, who like this is the only he his only scene in this movie. Yeah. Like this old dude that has like a fucking rope around his arms and like grabs a chain or whatever and then Oh yeah, him. he had a whole thing going on. Yeah, like I who was that character? He just popped up. He popped. was extra. He was extra. He came in in that scene. He beat those fucking would-be rapist ass and then like oh, yeah. just yeah, dipped yeah. out. For sure. That was his bit of the movie. Crazy stuff. Um, we always who, could, who could defeat these rapists? Grandpa. Yeah. And here goes. <laughs> my, my favorite thing during that fight scene is like he's pulling, like he doesn't have the chain. He has a giant rope. But he reaches underneath the tablecloth and pulls out a fucking chain out of nowhere and starts, like, hitting people with it. Yeah. Hell yeah. Dude, I mean, that guy's great. And uh, we should mention the dude with the Hitler mustache does show back up later, sans the mustache. That's I don't true. Know if, Did he still have the, the part he, in the middle of bowl cut? He, had, he still had some kind of weird-ass hair. He had on. a weird hair. I don't think it was exactly the same. Like, I think yeah. he was trying to be... He had a new look. He had a new... I don't know if he was a different character or what the deal was. Mm-hmm. I don't know wasn't really clear. I think he just he's actually fashionable and he changes when the when the fashion changes and you know. Yeah. The Hitler mustache was, was out this season. <laughs> oh man. Uh one thing that's also common with Bollywood movies, they usually have long flashback sequences. I've seen Bollywood movies that will have a flashback sequence and then have a flashback sequence within that flashback and you forget what movie you're watching until it flashes all the way back to where you were. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes that's like a half hour or 40 minutes of your time like what? It's like when Hatebreed puts a breakdown inside a breakdown. Yeah, it, it, it's that kind of inception level. This one, the, <laughs> yeah, just within, within, uh, you know, for like this movie, at least this flashback was motivated because it was the dad explaining like that whole backstory, how like the Freddy dude killed, you know, his other daughter and like he took revenge and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't too long. It was actually the right amount for a flashback. But like, you know, a lot of Bollywood movies will have flashbacks that will just take you to a whole other level and then you just forget what movie you're in and then you're back and then they drop a musical number and you still forget what movie you're in. But, like, co- being coherent, like, I, you know, we're talking about things that just don't make sense as we're talking back and forth, but, like, coherent, like, plot line, it, it just kind of follows along. Yeah. Yeah. So. They just, they trust you've seen the original. Yeah. <laughs> it, that's, yeah, that's it. it. And they kind of show it to you again. Yeah. With yeah. a little less information. Yeah. It, it gets there. It's cool. It's cool. So, you know. By the way, we didn't mention that uh, our, you know, our new Freddy. Right? We keep calling him Freddy at this point. So, yeah. new Freddy has a bit of a mullet. He didn't. He did not lose his hair during the Great uh, Fire. Yeah, and I. But no one explains where the Great Fire and was. And he's 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 you know like Freddy. This guy's just like way more like burnt up, yeah. you know. Whereas Freddy is like it's kind of like a few layers came off or something. Yeah, and he's like a little crispy. But like this guy's fucking. This guy's. This guy. This guy got singed in hell. If he was a demon, yeah, yeah, yeah. he came out. I guess that might but explain he, somehow his mullet survived the. Uh... Look, man, a good a good hairstyle. It's will, sick. It's will sick. Sur- I love survive it. anything. Yeah. Like yeah, I, yeah, he does have a sick mullet. Good, good on him. But again, they're all very fashionable in this film. Yeah, I mean that's true. I mean, don't panic. Like the um, Virgil dude had a fucking pretty much a mullet. They had basically the same hairstyle, really. Yeah. 
not just because you're just because you're a fake Freddy doesn't mean you have to dress like a fucking school janitor. No, exactly. There's, there's no fucking striped sweaters and like yeah. fucking corduroy pants or whatever Freddy wears. Dumb hat. Yeah, dumb hat covering up your like fucking not cool mullet that you should have. No. Yeah. You know, you know, I know Nightmare on Elm Street's a classic, but just imagine Freddy Krueger with a mullet. Hell yeah, dude. Or any, any, just like a, I don't know. I don't know, a rat tail? Well, I mean, yeah. A little flock of seagulls. I, Devil I, lock. There's lots of different Freddies you can come up with. I mean, if, you know, I know eventually they're going to remake Freddy Krueger. Or a Nightmare on Elm Street at some point. I mean, they just fucking did. Yeah, but that was like 10 years ago, if yeah. not more now. Yeah. Eventually, they're going to do it again. I haven't, I haven't forgotten. <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually never seen it. I saw like maybe three seconds of it on HBO, and I was like, nope. I watched the whole damn thing. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. Like, there's, there's a finite time <laughs> in the in the universe, and I, I chose to spend a, a whole 90 minutes watching that stupid fucking movie. <sighs> well, yeah. Well, we just spent two and a half hours watching that's true this. no this was enjoyable yeah. especially by comparison yeah and just like talking back it's like we definitely did enjoy it. i just think it like times we're like because this is something we're watching for the podcast it's like you know and plus we've put it off for like as long as we have it's just like yeah maybe not in the mood we'll just get through it so our mindset might have been there but like it, it's a fun movie yeah. and especially if you want to take something adventurous and like you know see how Bollywood handles horror. And, you know, besides this disc, pick up that Mondo Macabro box set. So, I don't know. Final parts on Malacca. Uh, Fun-ass time. Fucking, I recommend it. Again, you know, I'll just, I'll just, rating this solely on pajamas, I think that this one wins. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there you go. I think that this one is the, uh, the, the winner, if you will. The, the victor. The victor of these two, just yeah. based on. I mean, if, yeah. If these are verses, I think you know. I like I like Don't Panic a lot, and I think it's fun. And, and there's there's something like there's just something like very nostalgic about it, even if you haven't seen it before, at least to maybe someone my age. But I I like this one more. It's just fucking it's sick. Again, it's the pajamas. Yeah, yeah. So it's pajama. The game. fucking dinosaur pajamas ruined that film for me. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I I can't disagree with you that that the fucking dad's robe is fucking sick as shit. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, before we wrap up Com- here... Comfort. Yeah, comfort Comfort is very important in horror movies. Those fucking stupid dinosaur pajamas are probably so fucking hot to run around in. Yeah, they, they, yeah they, they, <laughs> I don't know. Um, before we end this discussion on Freddy knockoffs, I just want to quickly mention, too, one of these we talked about watching, and we kind of, as this episode has already ran way longer than either of us were expecting... We kind of cut them for time, but I just want to mention them. First one is Dream Stalker, which if you've never seen, our friends at Severin Intervision put this out on DVD. It's a shot on, shot on video, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff, but it's Freddy Krueger on a dirt bike. I actually screened this, um, I think, year two of Cinematic Boy, and I had the guy that played the Freddy Krueger in that movie show up. And, like, the only thing he talked about is, like, man, I was so embarrassed. We shot this hot tub scene. And then they used every second of it in the movie and just kept dropping it in over and over again. Like, he was just less about, like, you know, the quality of the movie, just more about, like, he felt exploited by that hot tub scene. Mm-hmm. And the other one, which is probably the most famous Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff, so much so it got blasted when it came out, but I think it's got a pretty good cult following now. It's called Bad Dreams. It's got Jennifer Rubin in it, who was in Elm Street 3. She's, like, the punk girl. She's, like, the lead in this one. And also has Richard Lynch which I find this interesting. So it deals with a cult figure that 
like a leader of actual cult play with Richard Lynch who gets burned up. In real life, Richard Lynch in the 60s was on drugs, I think it was LSD, set himself on fire in like Central Park in New York and burned 70% of his body. That's the most interesting tidbit of that movie. It's like a dude that like fucking torched himself, and then years later went to play a dude that torched himself in a like, horror movie, like uh, Richard Pryor. Yeah, it's true. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think Richard Pryor played in an Elm Street movie though. No, but he was JoJo Dancer, and that's like isn't didn't he like fucking burn himself in the? I mean, it's a movie about his life. Yeah. Um. So as <laughs> as we're ending here, I did have one question for you. Yes. And that is, have you ever known a single person in your life named Freddie? My cousin. I actually also have a cousin, Freddie. That's fucking awesome. Right there on. There we go. Ed, fucking dap me up for the fucking <laughs> Freddie cousin. <laughs> Hell yeah. So the, oh, the only Freddie I've ever met in my life was my cousin, Freddie. Yeah, I think so too. Like I have uncle. Fr- I have uncle. <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> that's fucking so sick, dude. Like that's all Your I can think of. Cousin Freddie. Cousin. Bro. It's a cousin. Fr- I have an uncle Fred, but a cousin Freddie. Oh, same. Same. Yep. There we go. So if you got a cousin, Freddie, hit us up on the socials. We're going to take one last break here, but when we come back, it's going to be read, watch, and listen here on the Cinematic Void Podcast. Once again, foolish friends, Freddy Krueger is on your phone. Dial this number now. I've got some tales to tell. Freddy's favorite bedtime stories. <laughs> Dead time stories. All brand new and straight from my boiler room to your home. It's Freddy Krueger on your phone. So dial this number now if you dare. Tell him Freddy sent you. Two dollars the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Children, get your parents' permission before you dial. Are you tired of having the same old backyard birthday party for your child every year? Do you want something new to entertain the kids? Well, have we got a place for you? Welcome to Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, a magical place for kids and grown-ups alike where fantasy and fun come to life. Come along and jam out with Freddy Fazbear's Band, featuring Bonnie the Bunny and Chica the Chicken. Or sail the high seas on an expedition for treasure with Foxy the Pirate. And, if you're lucky enough, the band will even ask Foxy to join them. Just cheer along with the band. While you're enjoying the band, enjoy our signature and tasty pepperoni pizza with fresh dough and all natural ingredients. Of course, we serve other foods, such as our french fries, chicken nuggets, and a large refreshing soda. Also for your kid's birthday party, they can visit the prize corner and receive a free prize as a gift from Fazbear Entertainment. To make a reservation at Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, call 1-800-FAZBEAR today, and we will be glad to let your kids have lots of fun during their happiest day of the year. That's 1-800-FAZBEAR. Call today. Welcome back. It is now time for on the Cinematic Void Podcast, where we talk about all the things we've been reading, watching, and or listening to since the last time we recorded a podcast. All right, Nick, why don't you tell us what you've been reading, watching, and or listening to? All right, I've been reading a graphic novel called Paying For It by Chester Brown, which is about a man who... Uh, decides to start paying prostitutes for sex. And uh, the, you know, the struggles that come along with that sort of thing and how he, he justifies, he actually, no, he justifies it like to his friends and is just like very open about it. And uh, it's, it's it's interesting. I'm about 
I don't know, about 100 pages in, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, and then for listen, actually for watch, I'm gonna do it in the order that it's of what it's called. Um, for watch, I've been I just watched uh, Alan Clark's Elephant, which is just a like a mass shooting movie. Really, it's just oh, that's all it is. It's just people getting shot, and really no, there's like well, four I, and a half words of dialogue. There actually, I don't think there's any dialogue. I mean, there's no meaningful dialogue yeah there's definitely no meaningful dialogue like yeah, that, there's that, maybe a few words said. i mean it's based on what was going on in ireland at the time right. the troubles yeah went on for 30 years yeah and then it's condensed to a 30 minute like bbc like kind yeah of short alan clark made some mean fucking movies mm-hmm. and this is i mean this was basically um gus van sant's the inspiration for elephant, elephant besides yeah. besides colobon right but like, for sure uh, so just watch that, and then I just watched uh, uh, Joaquin Trier's Louder Than Bombs uh, from 2015, which is really good. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people saw the uh, was it the worst the worst person in the world, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. But Louder Than Bombs was uh, great as well. Um, and for listening, I've been listening to a lot of fucking crass. I've been up in the punks <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Uh, a little crass for you. Um, been listening to the new Heavenward song that came out yesterday called Choke. Maybe it came out Wednesday. Um, that uh, the Heavenward LP is coming out in June, I think. And both songs that have dropped are fucking killer. Uh, just killer, awesome, like shoegazy, heavy rock. I don't know. Um, new uh, Heavy Sleeper EP called Chime. I think they're from New York. Um, they're sick as hell. Just other heavy shoe. I guess I just only listen to heavy shoe gay stuff now. Um, and, and crass. <laughs> it's like the polar opposite. <laughs> just a of lot of crass. Uh, Minimalist punk. Yeah. Effects pedal heavy bands. Yeah, man. I don't know. That's about it for me. Not not terribly. Uh, you know, not terribly prolific with my with my listening, reading, or watching this week. But you know, this is what it is. Here we are. We're, we're very busy, man. We are. Uh, yeah. As for me, I don't have shit for reading. It's, I don't know. It's not. I have I have books that I put on my like little like night table, or whatever. And <laughs> I, have bo- I have books that I I buy. I have bought. I, I do have books. I have books. Do I fucking read them? Absolutely <laughs> not. Um, watch wise, I just watched a giallo that was new to me called Five Women for the Killer. It's pretty mid. Like, it's about. 10 20 minutes too long there's some good stuff but then it just it kind of plods and drags and it's like you know there when you get to argento martino fulci like dalamano like all those like the top tier this is nowhere near that tier it's definitely below the the middle of the pack it's not the worst i've seen but it's not nowhere near as good but vinegar syndrome put it out it's got a cool slip cover so it has that going for it uh Watched a couple of movies on virtual dating with my girlfriend. First of which was a movie called Alone with You. It's made during the pandemic. Fucking hated it. <laughs> it it it's. I know I'm being mean by saying that, but like I it, I it's been a while since I watched a movie where it just like it just I my dislike grew as we were watching, and this was both of us as we were watching it. It was. It kind of wants to be Mulholland Drive, but it doesn't have, like, the setup or whatever. It's like, you know, Mulholland Drive meets Repulsion in a way. 
And or I should say, for those of you who see Mulholland Drive, it's like the back half of Mulholland Drive once the twist is kind of happens, kind of thing, or Lost Highway or something like that. So that was I just did not like it, like just nothing about it. Uh, another movie I watched was Peter Strickland's Flux Gourmet, which I did love. I love Peter Strickland stuff. He did Barbarian Sound Stu- Studio, um, in Fabric, things like that. This one's about like it's about an art kind of art collective that makes music off of food. It's really fucking weird. It it gets crazy. It it's fucking incredible. I love Peter Strickland stuff. Okay. That, that's a, that, that sounds real sick. It's on Shutter for those of you. Actually, most of these I'm going to say are on Shutter except for the one I'm going to talk about next, which is a movie called Case 39, which so, stars Renée Zellweger, Bradley Cooper, and I guess it came out in that peak of like when Killer Kids like The Orphan were popping. Like around that era, it started out pretty good, and then some really bad CGI's. There's like, there's this little girl that I guess is was born a demon, kind of, kind of going back to what we've been watching for this podcast. Yeah, except like this little girl can call people on the phone and whisper some like horrible shit, and it makes them do horrible things or have horrible nightmares. There's a scene where Bradley Cooper, you know, is afraid of wasps. And, like, this little girl call, crank calls him, like, psh, psh, psh. so then, like, all of a sudden he's got wasp coming out of his ears. But CGI wasp. And there's a shot where he's got his shirt on, and on the back of his shirt is all these wasps, and he, like, it looks, it, it's such bad fucking CGI. And he, like, takes the shirt and puts it in the shower. It's just, and then his character dies, whatever. It The, <laughs> the, the movie has moments where it's kind of good, and then it just, like, kind of just, is a mess. Yeah. Um, and the last thing we watched on one of our virtual date nights, we actually watched this last night. It's a movie called Shrew's Nest, which was absolutely incredible. Like this came out in like 2000, maybe 14. So it's almost decade old. Oh, and it's like, I'll say repulsion again, but it's repulsion meets misery kind of thing. But there's like darkly comic moments. There's some things that just made me flinch. Like, Holy shit. I can't believe that happened. It's, it's fucking really good, and it's another Shutter exclusive thing. So, like, you know, it was produced by Alex Day Glacius, who you know did Day of the Beast and Perdita Durango and things like that. But like that, that one was good. So, you know, Shutter. It's got some good things. Got some not so good things. Um, kind of falling into the watch and listen, depending on where you stand on video podcasts, because I guess they're on podcasts. I've been watching things on YouTube, caught up to caught up with some episodes of Detours from the homie Derek Millen. Shout cool. out to him. I've uh, been watch, watching and listening to a lot of like hip-hop-related podcasts, obviously Super Duty Tough Work, Tough Work, which I've talked about before. Still going. They did an episode on AI and like how that affects, like basically because like people are doing AI songs, like you know the fake Drake weekend song, yeah. and then like basically how that's gonna how that shit's gonna play out in the future. And also been various episodes of my expert opinion with uh, Matt Hoffa, who's a battle rapper turned podcast. Just had Benny the Butcher on and um, Vlad from Vlad TV or stuff like that. And just a lot of hip hop stuff. So, I mean, I could watch movie podcasts or listen to movie podcasts, but it's like I'm kind of interested in things I don't know about that I want to learn about. And the last thing was, uh, there's this guy, Trap Laura Ross, and you're kind of hit me to this, who's a, I guess, a YouTube documentarian, mm-hmm. a lot of hip-hop stuff, a lot of gang culture stuff. He just did that documentary on, like, you know, Vaughn. Yeah. Fuck, dude. King Vaughn, I should say. He's mm-hmm. a Chicago rapper who got killed in, like, I guess, Atlanta, and, like, basically his thesis that 
Vaughn's a serial killer or right. was a serial killer. Right on. And like, but I've been checking out some of his other documentaries, and he's got like you know stuff like really, I'd say really nicely researched like feuds be like why do Drake and Kanye don't get along, and got really probably the most in depth on the Pusher T Drake feud. Like I didn't realize there was a fucking this song's going way back, okay. like direct disses to each other mm-hmm. before like obviously story Adion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, listen. I'm just going to pick a couple of things that I've been listening to the most. Uh, the Domo Genesis and Alchemist record, No Idols. Pretty sick. You know, uh, my favorite song probably is on there. And I, it's, it's um, I forget what the song's called, but like it's got a Freddie Gibbs verse, which was, I think, from 2014, from what you were telling me. It's like an older verse. I, I feel like I read that real quick when it dropped and then like never actually Researched looked it up it. again and have been repeating it. So like maybe it's not super I, old. I, well, I, he, it's just he, something I... He's, he calls himself Gangster Gibbs, which was like more, okay. maybe more like, you know, pinata and like before, like, because he's now doing the big rabbit shit. So I don't know how old the verse is, but there's also a Prodigy verse on there, which is clearly old because Prodigy's been dead for like, what, four or five years now? Okay, then fuck, maybe I, maybe I was correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, we were, we've talked offline about some of those Alchemist projects that he produces from people. And like, you know, it depends on the rapper and the Domo stuff is really good. There's like maybe one song I don't really like, which is like Me, My Bitch, which is him talking about how much he loves weed. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's the theme of the song. Like, it's it just like, I just not in that one, but the rest of the record's pretty good. It's got good features and stuff like that. Um, also been listening to that new Conway the Machine record, Won't He Do It? Which, you know, I think the first half, not big on, but, like, by the second half, it really picks up and that gets pretty solid towards the end. Oh, wow. It's got a um, really good feature from Ransom. There's a song with Fabulous and Benny the Butcher. Like, the back, the back half is definitely stronger. There's some actually, there's some actually really interesting Derringer beats. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's a couple times I didn't realize they were Derringer beats. I thought they were someone else. And it's like, oh, shit. He's like... Is the first half bad because it's it's like too commercial or something? Like, it, is it, there, you know what I mean? Like, why would why would you why would you backload a record? You know, there, there's not there's nothing to benefit from that. I maybe it's maybe it just my taste wise. It, it's yeah. like the rec the um, God don't make mistakes, which was like the shady record. Like, it kind of leans the stuff I don't like on there, which may be the stuff that's tinged with R and B and like less okay. like you know. That's what I'm saying like actually stylistically, it's just it, it's, it's not your style. Yeah, it's, but, it, it's like so it must have been done deliberately. Like maybe it is a little more. I I, I think know, commercial. I think, I think he's pushing himself to get bigger, and yeah. like I don't fault yeah, yeah, him yeah. on that. It's okay. just like it was just some of the beats I just didn't connect with. There's a few Derringer beats that I didn't really connect with. I I guess like he's been really good at how he's been starting off his records with like really strong songs. And like, it just feels like it kind of start. It didn't, it started, but it, you know, didn't feel like it was a big, like push in. Whereas like, maybe if you move one or two songs that were in the back half up front and then had the other stuff more peppered in the middle, it might've felt different. But like, I, I definitely think the back half, like it's, I think it's a good album, but it's just like, there's certain things just more taste wise or aren't for me. And the last thing I've been listening to a lot, which I don't know why I've just been in the mood, is um, Harvest Transitions. Harvest was like a melodic hardcore band. I don't think they exist anymore. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. No, no, no. They did a reunion maybe uh, at some point in the two that maybe it was more like 2016 or something. There was there was a reunion that happened that was maybe uh, maybe kind of happened around the same time there was like a discography LP that came out. I, f- I feel like I remember hearing something like yeah, that. Yeah, it, um, it's kind of hard for me to like kind of guess only mm-hmm. because like – 
so many bands have gotten back together at this point or just yeah. never broke up that I don't realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I love, I love Harvest. I mean, they had, they had riffs for sure. It's, it's very like metallic hardcore from the nineties. Yeah. It, yeah, it has some melody, but like the singer is never singing. I mean, he's just screaming, you yeah. know, it, um, it, I, I love him. Yeah. It's uh, I, I kind of wonder if that stuff's going to come back or we've already passed that phase and just moved on to like the uh, new gaze stuff. I, I feel like there's, no, I mean, I think, th- I think there's plenty of, I think there's plenty of metallic hardcore that's back. That's like, I think nineties throwback to me. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah, I, I, think, maybe I, just I need think to search more. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, there's yeah. Hardcore is just, I think that, 90s hardcore is like really what's back now so yeah yeah and i'll, I, s- I'll send you a, a mix well send me a mix but <laughs> anyway that wraps up this very i'd say might be long episode of the cinematic void podcast um you know tell us what your favorite freddy krueger knockoff is or you know if you like both these movies don't like these movies or whatever else so yeah it's i'm glad we finally got this episode hell yeah after like no it's sick six or seven or eight fucking months years whatever it's been but until (laughs) next time see See you in the void Dana's got a crush on the wicked witch of Springwood she is bad news at 6 and 11 and tonight he may score this is gonna be the stuff dreams are made of but she already has a boyfriend and he's the jealous type there are some girls you just shouldn't go to pieces over (laughs) on the next freddy's nightmare deadly deadly yeah get ready here comes the style of wilder